Hey everyone, uh, Charlotte and I just were finished recording this episode. I hope you guys are looking forward to it. But after we finished, we decided we wanted to include uh, a little clip at the start of the show just to, it's not a spoiler warning, but we just wanted to explain what exactly, what content Charlotte and I have been reading. I know some people are very adverse to new TV spots, to press interviews, Whatever your level of exposure is to the marketing that's been going on, we just wanted to give a brief warning clarification that we have been reading all officially licensed content that has come out. So this includes trailers, TV spots, toys, including the McDonald's toys, (laughs) and um, all the press interviews that have come out as well. And we're recording this on December 5th. So again, just a clarification, that's what we've been keeping up to date with, just so you know what knowledge we're going into this discussion with. We're less than two weeks out until The Rise of Skywalker premieres. In this episode, we're putting it all together. The press tour, TV spots, trailers, and our own speculation to discuss, for the very last time, our wildest theories and wishes for episode nine. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and I just got chills listening to Charlotte read that because we are less than two weeks out from the rise of Skywalker, and this is our very last episode pre Rise of Skywalker. And I can't believe it. And it's funny because our last speculation episode, not our last one, but actually our very first speculation episode about episode nine was last June. (laughs) It was right after your birthday. And I listened to it or I listened to part of it this morning. And it was funny because our prologue in that episode was like, we're just about to start filming for Codename Trixie. And we didn't even have a name yet. And look, here we are. (laughs) I feel like today, I feel like I've been very tired lately. Like I haven't (laughs) been sleeping because I'm so excited about the Rise of Skywalker. We're doing a lot of podcast stuff. It's just like a lot of stuff. And I feel like everything kind of makes me a little weepy. And like, (laughs) (laughs) it's so crazy how far we have come. It's insane. It's insane. I know. I know. Someone had tweeted today that they had listened back to our live podcast stage episode. And oh, I know. I got weepy at that. I know. I was like, (laughs) oh my God, that was. That was such a crazy experience. We've only lived, we've only really lived with the name The Rise of Skywalker for, you know, eight months or whatever it's been since April and celebration. And that was such a an adrenaline pumping experience. <laughs> and now oh, Charlotte, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and now here we are. And this is our last episode before The Rise of Skywalker comes out. Our last main show. We still have um <laughs> Have a lot of episodes, Kayla. <laughs> <laughs> when you said we've been podcasting a lot, that was like the understatement of the back half of 2019. <laughs> I know. We God bless you guys who are only here for like the main show episodes and not our TV shows. Like I support you because Kayla and I were talking about this beforehand. I just have to say we have kind of like we're not pivoting the show, but like we're kind of 
kind of hunkering down before we start talking about the rise of skywalker for like two years on the show. <laughs> so, i mean like where's the lie caitlin we haven't stopped talking about the lost yeah, jedi there's no lie i just think it's it's so it's so funny um i just i was looking at my instagram caption from when we went to see the last jedi for the first time Aww. and i was like this might be my my favorite star wars movie ever like i'm so happy and then I think I said, we're going to be talking about this one for a really long time. <laughs> and I was like, yes, <laughs> we really are. And we cannot. I think about that a lot. I think it's just funny how I really <laughs> have been talking. Like, we've been talking about that forever. And I feel like we're going to continue to talk about The Last Jedi for so long. And I think that the same is probably going to be true about The Rise of Skywalker, especially when we have the final I, piece. I hope which is- so. That's the thing. I hope. We want to talk about it for the next two to 40 years. I think we will. I think that there's so many topics, even topics that we have discussed on the show, like with themes and everything. Like imagine, Caitlin, what if we get more hand imagery and we want to revisit the hands or language? Like we totally could. And there's going to be, you know, so so many things Mm -hmm. like that, like the idea of like family and star. We have all these themed episodes that were made in this interim between The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker that just don't have that final piece, but like examining things through a different lens once you have the whole story and also are able to pick apart the whole story. Because that's what Star Wars does the best is every time you see a new piece, you see something else from the saga differently. And it's something I genuinely love. And that's why you get a little you get a little worried for things like the rise of skywalker cuz you're like oh no what am i going to see differently that i i didn't really care about before or i cared too much about and like how will this change how i think and i think that can be scary but i also think that can be really exciting yeah <laughs> i i know we talked about this on i don't even remember i think it was the rule of 2 episode whenever it was but just about how we're finally here and you know, being so involved in Star Wars fandom, you really do like it. Really does create like these benchmarks for your life in a way, you know. And I think I referenced like when Last Jedi came out, the podcast, you know, was still pretty new, and I was in graduate school, and you hadn't moved to Boston yet, and like, and now here we are, and so much has changed, and it just, like you said, it just makes you a little weepy, and the fact that there are all these things that are gonna change. Like, you know, it's pre-Rise of Skywalker and post-Rise of Skywalker life. <laughs> and Well, because there's a pre-TLJ know, life. This one, pre, is, this one is even more you know, important because it's like life. post, like pre-unfinished saga, post-finished saga, it's, you know? Like, it's just so crazy. It makes me realize how much I, I think I'm really going to miss the speculation period because you guys know, like, there's truly nothing I love more than like wildly speculating Mm-hmm. you know, attaching to something and like kind of blowing it up. I love it. And <laughs> I I don't think that's going to go away, especially because I think that Caitlin and I both have an attachment to shows like The Mandalorian that I didn't expect. And we're getting a whole season of The Clone Wars, like all these great things that I know that we love that we will be attached to for forever. But it's surprising knowing that this is really the last saga movie for at least a while i think that there's been some comments (laughs) yeah there's been some comments and you know that decade might fly by you know and especially with the stuff that they have planned and everything but it's funny like i think chris terrio said like oh we were able to uh come to a finish with it but if it needs to be 
he said something super vague basically about open-ended ending basically which really freaks me out but like it also is good see how (laughs) i take that is that everyone is alive which means they can have more adventures later on yeah a return of the jedi-esque ending yeah exactly so but regardless it's like oh my god (laughs) we're so close i know and i just i don't I don't know, guys. I, I just I don't know how the next couple weeks are going to go. Um, Charlotte is headed down to Atlanta. I have saved – we both have saved PTO <laughs> for the Rise of Skywalker. We're taking off. I'm taking off Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. <laughs> you do have to travel, so like <laughs> – fair. Come on. I'm taking Wednesday off <laughs> the day before. <laughs> <laughs> I need peace and quiet and calm before. Yeah, I have I have off Thursday and Friday. And, you know, you guys know my family is not like Star Wars people. And even though the same thing happened in The Last Jedi, when I told my mom, she was like, what? <laughs> and work was okay with that. And I was like, well. But yeah. also, you know, it's do what you will with your vacation day. <laughs> I know. No questions no asked, questions man. Asked. I'm not here to judge what <laughs> movies you do or don't see during your staycations. That's up to you. Yeah. It's just a staycation. That's what I'm doing. And um, actually, it's like I'm taking paid time off for podcasting and movie watching time. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And that's how important Sky Talkers is. <laughs> very important it is very important important. um but i i feel like we have said everything that can possibly be said about preparing for this movie and that there is no way to emotionally prepare for it in an adequate fashion but it is uh fast approaching really fast and uh, i can't wait to record her after are we just gonna be sobbing the entire time (laughs) I, i like i have no idea i just after the last Jedi, we were so perplexed, dumbstruck. yeah, <laughs> kind of quiet. Yeah, like we didn't really know what to think and everything. But I think that once the final John Williams note oh. is played, in, oh my god, <laughs> in this, I, <laughs> I'm not ready. Like I'm laughing, but I'm like. Crying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually am like it's like it's so crazy yeah i just remember after the last jedi we immediately walked out of the theater and we're like what did you think oh my god what did you think and we just we didn't talk about it until sat in my car <laughs> for i mean we talked about it but it was a lot of oh i don't know what did you think i don't know raylo question mark <laughs> i think raylo <laughs> i think the direct quote was i think we have to talk about raylo <laughs> raylo I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. You're like, I think we have to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so ready. <laughs> I'm so ready. Um, yeah. And uh, we're, we got to go to Waffle House. Um, if any of you are on Raylo's stan Twitter, you know that Waffle House is like the patron saint of Raylo's. But Charlotte and I have actually, like, Waffle House is a Star Wars staple for us, a tradition, even before we joined Star Wars Twitter. So, you know, high five to past us. <laughs> and so we'll be at Waffle House after, I guess, our second viewing of Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, it sounds Can right. I just, I just don't know. Yeah, also after Last Jedi, when we were at Waffle House, you weren't feeling well, so we ended up sitting on the side of the highway recording. 
Anyway, so, I'm sure who people knows? who listen a lot know the, all these stories, and they're like, "Come on, let's get to it. Let's get." To I know, it. I know, but guys, this is this is part of the process. You have to reflect in or, order to speculate. Caitlin, remember when we saw the Force Awakens? Like we keep talking about the Last Jedi, but like I think that really the benchmark is the Force Awakens, where we got up early in the morning and we brought our chairs, we bought chairs to sit outside and wait to get these seats. Now we have like you you have to you get to choose your seats yeah. and everything but it was like a waiting game and oh it's just like it's so fun and the yeah. fact that we hadn't oh. seen star wars in theaters in so long i you hadn't at all that was so great oh wow i forgot that like walking around in academy sports in my leia costume <laughs> right i know <laughs> Yeah, you're right. We did have to wait outside for for The Force Awakens, and then now we're here, and like even technology has changed, <laughs> and movie theater viewing experiences has changed. Um, we're at the time of recording this. We're about 14 days out, so <laughs> two weeks. Caitlin, Caitlin, this time in two weeks. <laughs> We will be watching <laughs> The Rise of Skywalker. We literally will. Like, the trailers will be over at the point that we're recording this. Yeah, like, we're watching The Crawl. That's what's happening. Oh, we're we're watching it. It's <laughs> so crazy. I actually cannot. <laughs> Me neither. Just two weeks ago, we were talking about, like, the second episode of The Mandalorian. Like, it's crazy. The time's going to go by so fast. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. 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 <laughs> We need to start. <laughs> oh, no. Wait, Keelan. Our showing's at six. Oh, my God. We'll be like. <laughs> I just had to look well, it up. <laughs> we're like on the Death Star right now. That's where we are. We seriously are. We seriously are. So I am a little like beside myself with the fact that we are <laughs> nearly here. And uh, yeah, <laughs> next time. Next time you hear from us on the main show, it'll be after The Rise of Skywalker has come out. So just let that sink in. So we got a really cool email after our Rule of Two episode, since that was really our last main show episode. We've been doing a lot of Mandalorian, um, as we said, but we got a really cool email from a listener named Zach. And I was wondering, it was about it's about the Rule of Two and what we discussed there. And it kind of just kind of leads into some of our The Rise of Skywalker speculation, I thought that we'd start the intro in the show before we go into all of our many parts, our three parts, with this email. And I was hoping Caitlin could read it aloud. Yes. So this is an email, like we said, from Zach, and it is all about the rule of two. And here's what he had to say. He starts off. Ever since the prequel trilogy, I've contemplated the whole symbiotic relationship idea that was mentioned in The Phantom Menace. As each new prequel trilogy film built on the previous, I interpreted the ultimate symbiotic relationship to be Padme and Anakin, symbolizing love. But there's also another, Palpatine and Anakin, symbolizing power, greed, etc. So there's a rule of two for the Sith, but isn't there a rule of two for everyone else too? Being alone is okay, right, is proof, but I feel like all the films tell us that being with another brings more out of you. If it's the light side of the force that you form your symbiotic relationship through, it's mutual benefit. See love, marriage, friendship, teacher-student, teamwork, democracy, peace, being one with the force, etc. If it's the dark side, then it's for selfish benefits, power, greed, murder, alienation. That brings us to Palpatine. Back in the original trilogy days, I was always disappointed someone as powerful as Palpatine could be beaten by being thrown down a well. 
see the burst of dark energy, a hint to his survival when he dies, perhaps. I saw Palpatine as something ancient and different, yellow eyes and disfigurement. What if Palpatine is Plagueis and he's actually played us all? You can imagine how surprised I was in the prequel trilogy to learn Palpatine was actually some dude, a senator. I was okay with it, but when Revenge of the Sith came along and Palpatine gets hit with his own lightning, I was convinced that his disfigurement was not from the new en- energies, but destroying his Sith facade as some 50-something-year-old guy when he really was the ancient wraith, for lack of a better word. Or is Palpatine simply, as I believe Lucas said, the Star Wars version of the devil? And the devil can never truly be destroyed, but you can keep him away. And if you read Lord of the Flies, the boys stranded on the island are afraid of the beast, which is really just their fears. I theorize that Palpatine can return at any time, especially when the force is out of balance and there is great fear. He feeds vampire-like on powerful force users. Thus, a Sith needs the rule of two. The more powerful on the dark side the partner or victim is, the more powerful Palpatine gets. Notice the weird breath sucking and huge pitch drop in his voice when Anakin turns in Revenge of the Sith. So how do Rey and Kylo figure in all this? Once they realize the true meaning of their rule of two and give in to that symbiotic relationship, whether it's romantic or platonic, they'll defeat the devil, symbolizing our fears, and bring true peace and balance to the galaxy. Then they can turn around and pass on what they've learned. Palpatine can always come back, but not if people are one with the Force, and the Jedi will always be needed as teachers of the Force and to help us face our fears, which is a paraphrase of Luke in the new trailer. End email. Zach, Charlotte and I loved your email. I feel like it articulated some really big ideas so well, and it's definitely going to be something that we're referencing as we go through our discussion today. Yeah, and I think it really just summarized basically what we were trying to get at with (laughs) our Rule of Two episode, because I think that the idea of a symbiotic relationship, whether... I, I just think that people deserve to not be alone and i think that's the whole message of star wars i think that like love matters and that loving someone else just is the utmost way to kind of banish darkness so i just i really liked the way that every that zach kind of went through everything in that email and i thought that it really did a great job of summarizing in like three paragraphs what we tried to do in like a two-hour discussion (laughs) and i really commend that (laughs) yes so thank you very much and if you have theories that you'd like to send us and break down summarizations of our ramblings as well you can also email us at skytalkerspodcast at gmail.com But we are back this week with a three-part episode, which has been a while since we've done. Actually, our Rule of Two episode was our last three-part episode. And so we're excited to get back into that structure this time around. And so in part one, we're going to be going through the things that we want to happen. In part two, we're going to be talking about wild theories. And in part three, we're going to try to be filling in some of the holes and plot holes and gaps and things like that. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? So welcome to part one, where we're going to be talking about the things we want to happen. And I kind of want to start off this section by saying, I think there are things in this that we're very attached to, and I think there are things that we're less attached to. And at the end of the day, Caitlin and I will be okay if, I like, we will survive as human beings if none of them happen. I just want to put that out there because I think that we've gotten a lot of what are you going to do if it does? If like Raylo doesn't happen, if Ben Solo isn't redeemed, you know, all these things. And I just want to say that if 
that doesn't happen, we will be disappointed as it is valid for us to be disappointed since that's how we see the story going. And that's how we see the story and the themes that are represented in Star Wars. But I, this is what I want to happen. And I think like, (laughs) I think it's perfectly in our, like our right to kind of want to talk about everything that we want to happen. But that said, I hope JJ delivers a movie that like completely sweeps me off my feet and surprises me with something I never even knew I wanted. And that's how I felt with The Last Jedi in a lot of ways. And I ho- I hope that it happens again. Yeah, exactly. I think the thing is, it's like, I feel like you and I, we, our favorite kind of speculation is broad stroke speculation about yes. like these really big themes. And so for us, it's like there's details and, and we're actually going to be talking about the like the structure of the plot later on. But for us, and I won't speak for you, but it's like that's almost second fiddle in our like speculation process. You know, for us, it's not as important if like Pisana is the beginning or the middle or the end of the movie. And while perhaps we would like if redemption happened, you know, in the first 10 minutes, <laughs> so we have a whole <laughs> film, film with Ben Solo, if like a good story doesn't give us that till the end, then that's okay. But for us, it, like a lot of a lot of what we love to dive into is that really big picture storytelling. And so with our style, those smaller details sometimes get lost or they're just they're just not a part of our purview all the time. So but like with things like Redemption and Raylo, obviously you guys know that those are top of our list. Um it's like if those don't happen, we'll be super disappointed. But I hope that if this story makes sense, then it can be something that we can be disappointed that our quote unquote theories about redemption and Raylo didn't happen. But we got this other thing that was really cool. I'll be interested to see how long it takes us to get to that point <laughs> of acknowledging <laughs> that like Rise of Skywalker had this good story, even if it wasn't the like the broad strokes of redemption, for example, that we wanted to see. Because like we have spent the past four years being like, that's where we're going. <laughs> um, so I'll be interested to see how we would react. That being said top of our list is redemption for ben solo because that's that's the broad stroke storytelling that we've interpreted for the past what four five years now at this point and i think that i think it's one of the most important things that'll come out of this movie that we're kind of building to and it's definitely the top of our wish list yeah okay so that's our first thing on the list is redemption and here we are talking about how, like, if it doesn't happen, it'll be okay. But here's all the reasons why I think it's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so basically our entire podcast catalog, but also. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember in 2018, everyone was like, has an episode gone by where they haven't mentioned Kylo Ren? <laughs> and the answer is no, no listeners. <laughs> but I, I just feel like. It's so core to Star Wars that it has to happen for me that Leia, I I feel like I'm saying the same thing that I have always, but I need Leia to be right about her son. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because given the light of today's comments, today's Thursday, and Star Wars news is moving real fast right now. So whenever you're listening to it, whether it's next week or the week after or in 2021, things are coming out right now that we don't even know about the rise of skywalker and everything but today uh adam driver who never does star wars press he's he's out of the bag (laughs) 
he brought him out. You know, he's he's released from his Amazon Prime uh, <laughs> contract to promote to you know what I mean. Netflix contract, whatever. He's just too many movies. Yeah, <laughs> too many movies. So Adam was asked by Entertainment Weekly whether or not redemption was possible for Kylo Ren, and he says, "What does he have to be redeemed for?" And the comment says, "Driver shot back," which is just. It's really interesting. And when I first read this, I was confused. I think I even texted you, Caitlin. I'm confused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes he goes on to say, Kylo Ren has a different identity, a different definition of what redemption is. He's already been redeemed in his story. I don't think there is a thought of redemption. He doesn't have an outside lens of the events, you know. You know what I mean? It's more of an outsider's view of his world. Caitlin, can you walk us through this? Yeah, so I actually really, I just, I cannot wait for the Adam Driver content we're going to get after Rise of Skywalker comes out because he has, he has such an, like part of why Adam Driver took this role is because of how it was presented to him. And the, the very, I think in total, we probably have like 10 minutes of Adam talking about Kylo Ren from the past six years. (laughs) And this is, this is like 30 seconds of that too. Like this is part of the count. (laughs) Um, But he, he talks about, he has said before on a couple of occasions that when they were discussing the character of Kylo Ren, it was never the topics of villainy and evil never came up in their discussions. And, and you know, just worth mentioning that these discussions would have been happening with J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy, who wrote the character, created the character, and now are finishing it up, too. And you and I have always been of the belief that while every single plot detail of the sequel trilogy has not been laid out, that they have had a beginning point and an ending point, and then have given their creators license to get there in whatever way they see fit. Um, But there has been like that broad stroke storytelling structure in place for the sequel trilogy since it started. It wasn't just a, you know, the arguments of Ryan rejected everything JJ did, and now JJ is going to do vice versa to Ryan. That's, I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. (laughs) That's not true at all. But like, the way that Adam views Kylo Ren is he always puts himself in, like, in the headspace of Kylo Ren as an actor should. And that's often how he talks about the character, too. And, like, I feel like Daisy and John and Oscar are a little bit different in the fact that they they talk about their characters almost, like, from that bigger picture perspective. And I think that's what Adam is getting at in this quote is that, like, Kylo is existing within the story. He's not sitting in the middle of The Last Jedi with Rey at the end going, if Rey comes with me, this is how I'll be redeemed. And that's not how he's thinking. He's not – and Rey, vice versa, isn't looking at Kylo and going, if he does – like, if he rejects this second chance, then there is no hope for him because he has used up two chances already and that's that. Um, like, Kylo is existing within his own story and to him – like at this juncture, his redemption was rejecting his past, was rejecting the Skywalkers of Leia and Luke and Han. And that was what he, he needed to reject that in order to reach this next level of power, of identity, whatever it is. He's wrong. And hopefully what we see in the Rise of Skywalker is him realizing that. But he like the idea of redemption, the term doesn't exist within Star Wars because like that's the story they're living. I don't know if it makes sense how I'm explaining it, but like 
it's almost like the Truman Show. Like we're all watching Kylo's story, but he's not watching his own. <laughs> he's just living it. And I think yeah. that's what like the way that Adam talked about it was like extremely meta. He's like, what does he have to be redeemed for? Like that's not even in Kylo's head. Maybe it's in your head because we're looking at his story from the outside looking in. But that's not what Ky- – like Kylo is literally just trying to survive. <laughs> He's just living moment to moment. And not only that, you know, upwards of two weeks have passed in the total time that we've known him. This isn't – I mean, when we get to Rise of Skywalker, more time will have passed, of course. But like at this juncture, from what we've seen of him so far, we've seen a slice of two weeks of his life. And I think Adam recognizes that and the conversations that they've had, like it's never been about him being the most evil. You know, he talks about him being human and I don't know. I'm just, I'm really looking forward to hearing more from Adam in 2020. Well, it's really fascinating because you hear him. There was an interview a while ago. I think it was in 2016, maybe 2015 about what process he went through when talking to JJ about developing this dark sider and like what did they talk about when they talked about like Kylo Ren accessing this dark point of himself and in the question Adam kind of hesitated and then he gave an answer that was well we didn't really even talk about that like I can't even really obviously he said it in a much better way than I'm saying it right now with no likes and no ums but he definitely said something along the lines of we didn't really even talk about that. We didn't even really touch on the idea of a dark side or anything because Adam has never seen Kylo Ren as a villain. And I think there's a couple things happening here. Uh, I think I think Adam just doesn't see Kylo as someone who is pure evil in the way that a lot of, I think, the American audience does and the American journalists and things that pe- like people ask him about. And also, just to, just saying, if they asked him what redemption would mean and he said, well, who knows? Like, I guess you'll see in the movie, then <laughs> that would give away it as well. Like, he has to kind of come from it from the, this space because he's speaking to the character in a way because right now he exists post The Last Jedi and in this like nebulous area where we have no idea what his motivations are. We have no idea what he's after in The Rise of Skywalker. And we don't even know. Like, I think that that's the, that's the point of view that Adam is taking from this is that you don't know where you are of your understanding of Kylo Ren are these, this like basically 15 minutes that you last saw him in in The Last Jedi, like a total of 15 minutes. And all of those things were from Ray's perspective. And to go back from to what you're saying about Ray isn't looking at Kylo, I actually disagree with that. I think Ky- Ray is looking at him and going, this will save everything if he can be turned. All those conversations are there in The Last Jedi. And they're almost like a wink, wink, nod, nod, because I think that we all thought it would maybe going to be that easy, but it's not. And the idea that Kylo Ren himself doesn't think that he needs to change. I don't know. I, I I think I'm talking myself in a little bit of circles here, but I do think that it's really fascinating that Adam comes at it with such a, well, he's done nothing wrong. I don't know what he did wrong. Yeah, yeah, mm. exactly. And and I think you're right. Uh, it was not right of me to say that Ray thinks that or doesn't think about redemption. I don't know if she would use the word redemption, but I think you're right. She says, no, I think yeah. that she like turn from the dark side yeah. is the words that she would use and i think that 
the point of that is she has much to learn because she hasn't yeah. learned the idea of failure yet. Yeah, exactly. Which is the theme and of the I Jedi. found so a long time ago, last actually I think in 2018, there were some people who put together this Google Doc that was basically all about Raylo and like quotes that the cast and crew had said. It was right after Last Jedi came out, and they have managed to compile like all of the the, the like 10 minutes of Adam Driver content <laughs> on like his character and stuff like that. And I think that you know as we're having this discussion, and I think it's probably worth it to read a couple of them. Okay, so one of them it was he was posed the question, and this is before the Last Jedi came out. So just a reminder, um, the question was, what's one aspect about Kylo Ren you're excited for fans to see in the next film? Quote, I think that's such a general answer, but, you know, humanity, that was the frustrating thing. Everyone likes to tell you you're the bad guy, but I definitely didn't think of him that way. And then he also says his external scar is probably as much an internal one. Um, and then he says, quote, I feel like Kylo makes sense to me. The family dynamic and desperately wanting family to be a part of his life but not getting it. The anxiety and a lot of anger that that creates and that lasts a lifetime. When we finished that, I was like, I believe we made this personal. And then this last one that I'll read too um, was about him talking about the development of the character before they started filming The Force Awakens. And he said, quote, I remember us saying he wasn't bad or evil, but was something more three-dimensional because that seemed more dangerous and more unpredictable. Someone who feels morally justified in what they're doing instead of someone being evil for the sake of it. And I think that that is like that, like Adam just has such like a complex view of Kylo Ren and it's never been on the basis of him being evil. And I don't even think it's been in like the meta sense of an actor being like, I don't see my villain as a villain kind of thing. But I think that the way that his character has been set up has been to be that layered. And I think that quote um, about him like having this family or wanting a family and not getting it the way he wanted it and that that is – I think he used the word frustrating. <laughs> He's like, it's just frustrating and that just harbors inside of you your whole life. And that that is a piece of who Ada or who Kylo is. And I don't know. I just I, – I, I really enjoyed that quote because I know in, a, in another interview at some point this week, he said like, if you analyze it, which I don't. But then proceeded to give this like really analytical answer <laughs> about Kylo Ren. Um, I think that Adam thinks very heavily about like Adam is the kind of actor who wouldn't have taken this like sounds like we're just like sh like praising Adam Driver for being like the end all be all of actors. And you know what? I am. It's sorry, but it's it's hard to <laughs> yeah, it's hard not to. I think that what he's brought to Kylo Ren is like way more than I could have even expected from a Star Wars movie. Not that saying. Star Wars actors aren't great. I love them, but I'm surprised at the like emotional depth and the amount of personalization that I feel like Adam has totally internalized Kylo Ren in a way that is like uh, it's it's healthy. It's it's not disturbing. It's artistic, you know, and it's like respectable. And I think that that is felt throughout the entire cast. Everyone's like, oh, Adam, like, you know, he's. He's a good actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He just has a very, I don't know, he just has like a very meta view of Kylo. And I think that, I don't know, I think it's, he has brought something just so incredible. And I think people who, I think a lot of fans who who aren't in the redemption camp even feel that way because I think he's just brought something super right. unique to the character. And, and you know, if, if that's not in the cards for Kylo, I... I think I trust Adam to play that in a way that I'll be like, yeah, 
that's where we're going. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I think it might take me like a couple months to get there, but hopefully I will because Adam is such a good actor that wherever they're going to take it, I'll believe what he puts into it. But like all of the things that he has said have just been so specific of, I don't see him that way. He's not evil. He doesn't, Kylo himself doesn't view himself as evil. Redemption isn't in his vocabulary. It's, he's layered. He's, um, this one that is here too. It says, quote, um, I remember the initial conversations about having things skinned, peeling away layers to evolve into other people. And the person Kylo is pretending to be on the outside is not who he is. He's a vulnerable kid who doesn't know where to put his energy. But when he puts his mask on, suddenly he's playing a role. JJ had that idea initially, and I think Ryan took it to the next level. You're you bringing up that quote has kind of like pivoted me to this quote from Collider that he had today. And this is not the order that we were going to go things, but I think it's it's worth it to discuss. Adam talked a little bit about the mask today. And as you guys know, we're pretty big fans of the Kintsugi mask. And Caitlin has a whole meta on it. If this is your first time listening. Welcome. But Caitlin has this huge. I don't know how many words meta it is on the art of Kintsugi and how it relates to Kylo Ren's mask. And J.J. Abrams actually came out and said that that was the inspiration for the mask. So it would be interesting if you would read it. (laughs) It would be good. (laughs) If you find it. I'm tooting Caitlin's own doors. (laughs) We also have have an audio version on our feed, too. Yeah, we do. If that's more your thing. Yeah. So here's the quote in Collider. He says, hopefully in The Rise of Skywalker, there's a good moment where you really see him. Maybe, I hope. We're we're talking to people before about masks and that it's such a huge iconography of Star Wars that we took took for granted that we had to reimagine. What is it about someone who hides himself or presents a person to the world, but underneath is something different? Maybe there's a moment in this movie that's surprising. So interesting to me to think that the... The idea of like the recontextualization of the mask is something that they thought of. The way that I think this kind of plays into the redemption thought is I do think that if the mask sort of symbolizes all these visual scars, as Caitlin has kind of predicted, and these like these precious scars, these everything that you know you had before, almost your baggage all placed on your 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 face, your mask, it's like hiding something. And I think in Star Wars, we're so used to it underneath not being what it is, I guess, like those two, like the mask and like what's underneath the mask not matching. But wouldn't it be fascinating if Star Wars kind of flipped that on their head for some reason? And I think that that's kind of what Adam is getting at. And it's something that I just really hadn't really fully considered. Like, I think that we had talked about what the mask could do story-wise and like plot-wise I just don't know if I thought that it would be something that it would do something surprising like Adam referred to yeah I think it's really like I think we were all really surprised when it came back and and even in writing and and talking about Kintsugi as we have for the past year now at this point of it like it being this representation of the trauma that Kylo that Ben has both endured and inflicted and how that that's kind of what Kintsugi is about and so seeing it on the mask was a really interesting choice but then our question my question was always like okay well what do we what does that mean like how does the mask then 
function practically within the story. Like, sure, it can have this really symbolic meaning, but is that carried over into the practical use of it in the film? That was kind of a big question. But then, Adam, you know, what you said, like recontextualizing it, not only symbolically, but but literally within the story itself. And this will get into like our wild theory section, so I won't dive into it now, but like the idea of like Kylo has inflicted a lot of pain while wearing that mask is, are we going to get a situation where he's wearing the mask when he does something like quote unquote heroic and suddenly it takes on a new meaning? I don't know. But like you said, it kind of seems like there's something about when he's wearing it that Adam is hoping is surprising to us as an audience and that we, what does it say? Um, Really see him, like really see Kylo or Ben. I don't know. I just, I think it's, it's really fascinating and I'm I'm so excited. <laughs> I am too. So back to the redemption discussion. I think there's also something interesting about how Kelly Marie Tran was asked at D23 what are her favorite things about like the themes in The Rise of Skywalker and she goes, "I think redemption." <laughs> <laughs> I think that she. I think that she realized that she said something that she shouldn't. Kind of backpedaled a little bit, and it's funny because recently in an interview that they all did in Galaxy's Edge, I think it was Ash Crozen who asked, "Who right?" I th- I'm yeah, not sure it was if it Ash, was Ash, and she asked, um, "Who who's most likely to let loose a spoiler?" Yeah, and JJ goes Kelly, and <laughs> so funny Amazing. because we all know, and I. I can't imagine i feel like they're so tiptoeing around this word of redemption it's like it's printed in magazines adam is constantly asked about it i think he has crafted answers in which we're talking about right now that are purposely vague confounding and also like i mentioned before kind of artistic and respectful where you're like hmm maybe i should give this character a second look like that's the purpose of his his answer you know Mm -hmm. and i think that with that i'm like well if kelly's favorite theme in this movie is redemption i mean who else is gonna be like what oh oh (laughs) (laughs) and i think that it's, it's just it's just great and i think that it really does reflect um the messages of star wars like redemption is at the core of what star wars is darth vader sacrificing himself for his son is everything it's it's why i watch return of the jedi it's why return of the jedi has like a special place in my heart because there's really nothing more moving in that entire movie for me rather than vader's sacrifice after watching hours and hours of understanding anakin as a character i feel the same way in this weird weird sense about kylo ren i had just like have never been so drawn to a character since since anakin honestly Mm -hmm. and i feel like there's there's such similarities there's like something mythological happening and truly just to kind of get back to the center we're kind of all over the place here if this i just really really hope it happens in the rise of skywalker because i will not stop crying if it does (laughs) if it does or if it doesn't honestly both but one is happy tears the other is sad tears i think that i just can't even imagine caitlin and i in the audience if it does (laughs) does <laughs> doesn't I, like, I either way we're gonna cry that's the thing yeah but yeah I think like and honestly and, and I'm sorry to keep like looking at these quotes in this doc but it's literally like a 17 page doc that just has quotes from every person 
right up until right after the last jedi so and i think that this is actually really helpful because there's a whole section in this in this doc that is devoted to jj abrams and a lot of his quotes are from the force awakens timeline and i think that it's worth kind of revisiting a little bit of what he said um leading up to the force awakens and how that like he's now finishing it too and there's this and i think this was from the commentary i can't remember i'm pretty sure it is though but just like uh, like Ryan and JJ both have such affection for this character and they've never really described him as the villain. And it just like if that like if redemption wasn't where we were going, I just I don't know how you interpret some of these quotes to not be leading in that direction. That's kind of I think I think a lot of people like the way you interpret the films, I think, can obviously be very different, you know, whether you see Ray you know, completely closing the door on him at the end, Kylo completely making his choice. Like it's, it's, you know, one and done at the end of the last Jedi. I think that, you know, those are all fair and valid interpretations, but I feel like once I start getting into what the creators are actually saying about the character, that's when I kind of start questioning, okay, how, like, can I take off my redemption bias goggles? And can I look at quotes like this and actually view it in a way that makes sense paired with the story to get us to a non-redemptive story arc and i can't <laughs> like, there's this and unfortunately i can't <laughs> and maybe i'm just like like please please do let me know if i'm just being stupid here but like there's this one and this is i'm pretty sure this is from the commentary and just like the again like the way that he talks about it um and this is jj abrams about the fourth awakens he goes they han and leia had this kid who was born equal parts good and evil he's someone who's broken but it's more than just having a bad seed as a kid snoke had targeted this kid knew that this kid was going to be incredibly powerful in the force and wanted him as an ally so this mother and father had a target for their son someone who was watching their boy and these parents aren't there enough to guide him and like that is just so – that's such a sympathetic way of looking at Kylo. Do I think that Kylo always deserves our sympathy like that? No. But, I th- like, I think that JJ is always sympathetic towards Kylo. <laughs> True. <laughs> and even, like, when he talks about the scene where Han where, – where Kylo kills Han, he says um, – He says, I think that Kylo Ren, this is the quote, quote, I think that Kylo Ren in this moment is actually being convinced to walk away from this. Snoke is, as Han says, using him. And I think that somewhere Ben knows this. Again, he calls him Ben, not Kylo. And I think that he can't accept it deep down. He's gone too far. But I don't think that in this moment, this is a put on. I think that Ben is legitimately going to give up again. Um, But then the idea was that in this moment where he's taking the lightsaber and offering it to him as a gesture, the sun is finally drained from the sky and you see the light go away. And now they're in this darkness and darkness takes over. And as if this moment isn't disturbing enough, he pushes the saber further in and says these terrifying words. Thank you. In Kylo's mind, what he's done seals the deal. It's the ultimate proof to Snoke that he's to be trusted, that he won't be seduced by the light. And I think the instant that he's done it, he regrets it. And like, that's always in like such a way that always been like one of my favorite scenes. And the, oh my God, why can't I remember what the track is called? 
torn apart, torn Caitlin. Apart. I was thinking like turn away and I was like, that's not it. <laughs> torn apart. And like this is this is like from the very beginning of Force Awakens, this has to be the moment that for me has always solidified Kylo's redemption because like what does it say about Han Solo as this iconic character on a completely, you know, global scale? If his end is his son killing him, a son who he forgives in that immediate moment because he caresses his face in forgiveness and in love, what does it say about Han's character if that means nothing? And again, I feel like we're going to be beating a lot of dead horses in this episode of things we've been saying for the past two years. But this is the la- like this is it. This is where we're going to say it. And then, and then, if we're horribly wrong, you all well. Number one, we'll delete this episode off the feed, so don't even worry. No, we won't. No, we won't. <laughs> we just the clown music will play. Yeah. I'll, I'll put this episode, and I'll just, I'll superimpose like the clown music you over everything we were wrong about. You have our word. <laughs> <laughs> but like, this is this moment is the most one is the most important moment in Kylo's story. It's the catalyst for where he's going to go. And even when they were leading up to the last Jedi, they kept referencing that like this thing that Kylo did, it's going to be addressed. And like, it's not something that's left him. And I do kind of think they maybe could have done more of that in the last Jedi, but he even says to Ray, like, I didn't hate him. And Ray's like, WTF. <laughs> well, Ray point blank asks, why'd you hate, why'd you kill your father? Like she can barely, I I think that the way that the that everything has been set up around Kylo has been so specific to be sympathetic and like Adam has never been like he's a villain. Ryan has never been like he's a villain. Neither has JJ. And so I just don't know how if redemption isn't in the cards for him how we do get there in a logical way. And so if it doesn't happen, I think I don't think I'll know if the movie is good. <laughs> put it lightly (laughs) i honestly agree so i agree and it it brings me comfort you know in all the conversations we've had in the beginning when jj was brought on board after colin trevorrow was i think fired i think fired is the technical i don't know that's the technical parted ways let go i think i was a little hesitant just because it felt a little boring but when you hear quotes about the origin of kylo and how how JJ sees Ben, <laughs> as he put it, I and you know I call him Ben too. Not, I, there's nothing wrong with that. I just think it's like it's you know it's very uh, familiar and um, sympathetic as well to use the term Ben, which brings me to my other point about at the press conference on Tuesday or Wednesday, when Wednesday I don't remember. <laughs> Is that yesterday? Yes. <laughs> You know, Adam was asked very few questions because he can't answer very many questions. That's the whole thing about this press tour. So they can't say anything. He was asked, can 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 we call you Kylo Ren or can we call you Ben? Adam kind of looks looks around kind of sheepishly, looks at JJ for an answer and gives him the mic. And then they both say yes and no. Yes and no. <laughs> okay. And I think I think that's 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 all I need to know. Like, honestly, I think that we're in for, just to kind of wrap this up, I think we're in for a really special recontextualizing of a redemption story that's different from Vader's. Honestly, more meaningful than Vader's and something that is 
not a complete echo, but still feels extremely Star Wars and does feel like, you know, I shouldn't use the word echo. I think it's not a complete copy, but feels like an echo in the same way that Star Wars should, you know, and there's all the talk about ring theory. Like that's been a thing since like early 2000s, right? Yeah. And it's, in it's, I think that it just in the same tradition, this will also kind of reinforce you know Ben's connection to Anakin Skywalker as the as the grandson, and I I'm really looking forward to it if it happens, and it's really what I want to happen. It's definitely my number one, and Caitlin and I will have to rethink a lot about our life if it doesn't happen. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> We're gonna have to put clown music over like our like you said our whole podcast catalog. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm willing to understand that it's gonna ha- happen differently than I can even theorize though. And yeah. I think that goes back to what you were saying about, like, we, like, broader strokes. Like, at the end of the day, I think that, like, I don't know if Ben's going to be, like, good boy Ben Solo, but I don't know if I even want him to. And this goes back to something I said, like, a year ago about, like, do we want, if if Kylo Ren is redeemed, like, do we want him to wear white in the end? And I was like, no. No. Mm-hmm. no. Like, no. And I, I had such a visceral reaction <laughs> to that question and thinking that, that I was like, well, I just I don't think it's ever going to be that easy and I don't want it to be displayed that easy because it's not. You have to make the choice every single day to be better. Mm-hmm. That's what to me Star Wars presents that question so often. It's not just one choice, it's many choices. Even understanding that that it's not just one choice like Vader made at the end of Return of the Jedi, it's many choices, maybe that will be displayed throughout the movie. Yeah, and I think like I think a lot of people for a long time said that, you know, Kylo can't be redeemed it's just you know it was repetitive of of vader and i think that that's good and bad and i don't it's definitely not going to be you know if we're assuming that redemption happens which on this show we always are (laughs) Um, it's it's definitely not gonna be the same but at the same at the at the same time these stories are cyclical because history is cyclical and like the these patterns reverberate through generations and the whole point of what we feel they've kind of been leading to is like the cycle has to stop and and i remember very clearly like going on this ramble in our hands are a language episode i think we talked about that at the beginning of the episode one of my favorite episodes we've done i think charlotte's too um it's just like very sky talkers (laughs) (laughs) but we were talking about – because if you remember before The Last Jedi came out, everyone was like, who's going to lose a limb? <laughs> what mm-hmm. limb is it going to be? Who's going to lose it? Who's going to cut it off? Because, like, that happened to Anakin in Attack of the Clones. It happened to Luke in Empire Strikes Back. And I remember going, like, the point is that, like, there are no more limbs lost. The point is to stop losing limbs. You know, you have to break the cycle. And if part of breaking the cycle means that – Vader, uh, Kylo Ben gets to live where Vader did not because like uh, Yoda put so eloquently at the end of The Last Jedi, he has to pass on what he's learned because it wasn't passed on to him. And that was part of the problem is that he wasn't given he wasn't given the broad stroke story of what happened to his family. And, and who knows if that would have changed things? I think it would have. I think that the way that JJ and, and Adam have both talked about Kylo, it would have changed a lot for him if he had known. And I just like, there's not, I don't think if the story is done well, the redemption doesn't have to be a negative thing because it is a quote unquote copy of Vader. I think a lot of fans too have questions about like whether or not Vader was actually redeemed, to which I say the force redeemed him. I think there's obviously 
a lot going on about like the galaxy. At- That's what George Lucas would say. Yeah, too. like the galaxy at large redeeming him. Probably not, but like the force did. And that's like, that's what our focus is on. And in that same vein, as an audience, we redeem him. Like in that moment in Return of the Jedi, when the story was laid out, we redeemed him. And we were, and, and I think in part, because at that time, especially in 1981, it was like you redeem him because Luke is okay with how this story ended and he is satisfied and he's our perspective as we're watching the sequel trilogy or uh, the original trilogy. So, but of course, once we get the full picture, we obviously have a lot more layers. And of course, we have 40 years to reflect on it. And and some people have really good arguments about like, what is redemption? What is um, atonement? And I think that these hopefully will be things that are are discussed or suggested, um, hinted at for us to talk about when we get to the end of The Rise of Skywalker, to the end of The Skywalker saga. Sad face. Yes. I think we should move on to bullet point two. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're so far into this episode already, and we've only been talking about redemption. This is our problem. But the thing is, is that I really, it's genuinely our number one. So, of course, it's going to get the most weight, you know? Yeah, a hundred percent. It's just, it's very good. I want it to happen. <laughs> I hope it does. Hope it does. I will be hope eternally happy. Okay, so our number two is Raylo, <laughs> which goes hand in hand with redemption in a lot of ways. Bendemption, rendemption. You know, there was a point where everyone said rendemption, and then bendemption somehow entered the conversation. You know, I think about that often. Anyway, Raylo. <laughs> keeps me up at night the transition in fandom from redemption to bendemption well i think that perhaps that transition happened after the last jedi when we witnessed ray say the word ben like four separate times in like the softest tone i think it's also about the the perception uh like honestly within raylo fandom of people um charlotte and i were recently on unmistakably star wars talking about raylo and i remember devin said that he didn't actually know that raylo was Ray and Ben Solo, not Ray and Kylo. And I think it's different for everyone. It's not that's not a blanket thing. I think that's like we have to be careful about that. That's what it means for us, but it's not for everyone. I think it's the majority, but it's not for everyone. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. I think it's a little complicated because I think often like I've seen recently when Ben Demption and Raylo has entered the conversation in magazines and articles and things, it is I think people like journalists aren't necessarily doing their research about what I think Raylo fans would define as what Raylo is. And you see people be like, oh, well, Ray has to redeem Ben. And that's not how that's not what it is. It's not that it's Ben realizing the error of his ways and making a choice to be better and Ray agreeing with that. And I think that that's how Caitlin and I interpret it, but that's obviously not how everyone interprets it. I think that some people truly ship Ray with Kylo Ren, the supreme leader, with the helmet on from The Force Awakens. And I think that's fine. I think that's just how shipping goes. But I don't think that we can speak clearly about, like, uh, with, like, a blanket statement about, like, Raylo is really just Ray and Ben Solo. Yeah, I think that, like, the shipping obviously has a lot of different layers within fandom and but i think that that i think for a lot of raylos like whatever your favorite piece of a ship is like that i think i think that should be separate from the story because i think that like 
Ray and Kylo, like shipping Ray and Kylo with the helmet on, is of course valid and like go for it. But like for that in the story, like in the actual story, I don't know if that. Like, I don't think that – I don't think, like you said, the majority of the Raylo community would want that in the physical – like, in the saga films. In fandom, no. yes, a hundred times over. But in, like, the what will be canon, I guess, for lack of a better way to talk about it, I don't think – I don't think most Raylos would see that as happening, which is what you were saying, too, but just to further clarify. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Raylo. <laughs> okay, so Raylo. So, specifically, I think that Caitlin and I – have talked at length. We even started the episode by talking about like the symbiotic relationship and what it means for Ray and Kylo, who are clearly the two center pieces of this movie. I do think that they've been hyping up the trio, but let's be honest, who's on the cover of everything. you know all the posters and everything and who's paired up together. Ray and Kylo, I think are going to have the most scenes in this movie. I just like, it's amazing to see how many different scenes they keep showing us in these tv spots and these trailers like i think they have like three separate duels but maybe it's all the same duel like who knows (laughs) honestly who knows (laughs) and i think that it's it's very clear that they're hyping them as a powerful pair whether that's romantic i think is still up in the air even though personally i think that it it has a major romantic subtext in The Last Jedi. And it's the thing that's super intriguing to me about The Last Jedi. I think there's a lot of things, obviously, but I think Raylo to me, I am just so curious to see how it is going to grow and uh, kind of adjust in in The Rise of Skywalker, given everything that we ended with, with the closing of the door, with the sad puppy eyes, with all these things like i think that the 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 bond is definitely not over and i think something that i really am looking forward to see, to seeing is the escalation of that bond what does it mean and you know i think about that art book cover <laughs> we have a whole episode on it cuz we freaked out about it i do believe that there is going to be some sort of re-exploration of the force bond which I think to so many people was perhaps the most interesting thing introduced in in The Last Jedi. And how do we there's something so deeply personal and intimate about that that force connection that is like symbiosis that is uh like a, a distillation down of a relationship. And I obviously mean that in a very broad term, but that's kind of how I view it personally. And I I think that as these two characters have drifted apart in one has seemingly from the trailers, I guess. I mean, again, I don't know, right. Gone straight headfirst into the resistance and back to this community. But you know, that community, there's only one force user who exists there, supposedly, uh, which is Leia. So does Ray feel alone again? And then you have Kylo on the other end of the spectrum who has gone see uh, supposedly like who knows again uh, head first into being a supreme leader and i think the way that adam has talked about uh kylo at this point and he's kind of uh driven himself further into this role 
I don't know what that means. Like maybe he's uh, a good leader. Maybe he's a bad leader. I doubt he's a, I doubt he's a good leader, but I, I think that both of them are on these two opposite sides. And what does that do for the force bond? Because if the force bond is controlled by the cosmic force and it is an instrument and both of these, these characters are instruments of the cosmic force, what does it mean when these tensions are at an all-time high. What's going to happen? And I cannot wait to see. I don't know. I I can. It's to me. It's so interesting for the Raylo relationship, which I do think is romantic. It's based off of love and acceptance and understanding because both of them know each other so well because they've been in each other's minds. They've seen each other's past and their future. And I cannot wait to see where it goes. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely there's a reason it's at the top of our wish list. <laughs> but kind of on the topic of the cosmic force, and longtime listeners will know that I'm about to bring up Dave Filoni <laughs> and the world between worlds, which is something that you and I have been harping on for since it premiered last what was it, last February, last March on Rebels season four. And Dave has this like amazing quote where he's talking about the world between worlds. And um, I think we're actually going to insert it here. So listen. I believe that Star Wars has this grandeur to it. I believe the force has this infinite space to it. So I started seeding in season one this idea of a place where there are stars. When Ezra's in the Jedi Temple and he gets his lightsaber crystal, he is in that world between worlds. He just doesn't know it yet because he's too naive and he's not fully unlocked the next time he's there with Yoda. And Yoda obviously knows about it because Yoda's talking to him through this as some kind of conveyance where they can both exist in this place. But they probably aren't very far from where they are physically. But it doesn't have anything to do with the physical. It has to do with kind of where they believe they are and where they are mentally. So finally, when he unlocks all the secrets, he can go into this place and have more of an awareness of what's actually going on and this is when the full world is revealed to him and then he knows that evil also wants it because things like that that are too good to be true evil always wants those things Mm -hmm. to destroy them and to use them for ill purposes okay so that quote honestly gives me life i (laughs) sent it to charlotte and i said um if I could have Dave Filoni talking about the Force every day with the ominous Thrawn music behind it, like the organ, I would just be set for life. <laughs> you know, it's just it's, and the way that he talks about it, I really think that this is a, and on the topic to just like get on my soapbox about how much I love Dave Filoni for just a small second. <laughs> like with the his episodes coming out with the Mandalorian and him doing like a lot more press and um, talking about live action and also Kathleen Kennedy and other creators talking about Dave and his process. They've all referenced like Dave or uh, Kathy Ryan and I think even JJ at some point, but definitely Ryan have all referenced consulting with Dave on things about the force. And I know that Kathy definitely has for conversations about the sequel trilogy. And I think that he really is not a benchmark, but just someone to like, he's a consultant about these things. And that almost like lessens his role in it. But the way that he talks about the force is just, he is kind of this perfect combination of like George Lucas and what he learned from George and also bringing in his own perspective to it too. And what he says in this clip in particular, I think is so like it's so important for the force in general. And I think 
so indicative of where the rise of Skywalker can go. And we saw a piece of that with with Ryan Johnson in the Force uh, in the Last Jedi, where he says, you know, I believe that the Force has this grandeur, this grandeur to it. I mean, that's such a beautiful quote, is it not? <laughs> Mm-hmm. It just it honestly gives me chills. Like I believe that the force has this grandeur to it, that there is something magical and mystical, imaginative, um, even scary. I think that the way that he describes it, it can be all of these different things. But kind of to bring us back on track, um, the way that he talks about the Force Awakens and re- or, uh, the World Between Worlds in regards to Ezra's journey is that Ezra has been to the World Between Worlds before in season one. And he says, I created this place of stars. And Ezra's been there before. He just doesn't know it. And as the seasons progress and Ezra becomes more and more skilled in the Force, he starts, um, like for lack of a better way to describe it, he starts unlocking the ability to see more of this world between worlds. And when he finally gets to season four, it's for us as the audience, it's his last lesson. And so he's finally there fully unlocked and what he sees there, what he experiences there is life changing. And I think that that's what we've been seeing with Ray and Kylo is that this idea of the connection was seated in the force awakens. It began with that interrogation scene. And all of the creators have described it as, you know, a door opens between them. Something is unlocked between them. They see something in each other. Um, There's something going on there. Super ambiguous, but they all say that. (laughs) Um, And then it goes up to the next level in The Last Jedi where they – and throughout The Last Jedi too where at first it's seeing each other, hearing each other. Then it's seeing each other's surroundings. Then it's being pulled into each other's spaces. And then it's, like you mentioned, seeing their pasts pasts and their futures when they touch hands. That's crazy. (laughs) It is crazy. It's so intimate. And yeah. And so it's like where that they like their final piece of the story is Rise of Skywalker. So what is that next thing that's taking it to the next level? And we already have canonical evidence that they are both instruments of the cosmic force. And so the force has to be taken to this next level. And I think that the pattern, not the pattern, but the blueprint that was kind of laid out in the world between worlds and with Ezra. I think that just fits so perfectly with Ray and Kylo for the sequel trilogy. And um, one of you actually came up with this like before The Last Jedi even came out about like shared visions and how we were like, oh, we've mm-hmm. seen that with Ezra and Maul. And that seemed so crazy <laughs> at the time. But that's what happened. And I think, you know, like we always say here, looked in the animation department for the future of Star Wars. It's so true. And I think along with that is the fact that Dave has been around for so long and is kind of this harborer of things that Dave or that George has told him along with his own intuition and storytelling method. And all of that has created this new enlarged understanding of the force. And I think it's also worth noting that JJ Abrams was at the premiere of the Clone Wars movie. In I'll never get over it. I'll never get over it. <laughs> and he, you know, had a good time. <laughs> I definitely feel like you're getting at something here, and I I totally agree with it. And I think that the Force bond existed in The Last Jedi to make these two characters talk to each other because they needed to talk to each other because they're bonded and they have a lot in common and a lot different and they are two two parts of the same whole, whatever, yin and yang. Mm -hmm. You know know the drill. Two sides (laughs) of the same coin, two halves of our protagonist. 
all those Ryan Johnson and now J.J. Abrams isms because he has said the same thing. And I think that, yes, the force bond existed to, to solve that plot point. So what's the plot point that is going to be solved in The Rise of Skywalker that the force bond will have to rise to that occasion? And I think that what you were talking about, about like um, further unlocking, unlocking is a rough word for me, but like it, it just with Star Wars, I think it like implies like leveling up. But in a way, I do think that that's kind of what's happening here, that you, that you can't ignore it. Because I think that I, the question I always have is like, yeah, but so what? So like, what's the, what are they going to be shown? And what is that going to have to do with any of them? And I can't wait to find out because I think that it will yield those results of we will be given a glimpse into something that will, you know, that they will have to do in the future. Some sort of missing piece to understanding the, the Ray force back vision. Like, what will the force do to bend in order to, like, strengthen this bond and how weird will it get i hope it gets so weird i want it to get weird oh yeah we're very much about the weird force but yeah i think that yeah it's like the force bond in the last jedi felt so big and the idea that that's only going to get bigger in the rise of skywalker is really uh both terrifying and exciting because that was so big itself when it happened in the last jedi but that is just chapter two of their story and I think that, like, in The Last Jedi, they couldn't control it. And I think that part of what we'll see in The Force of, or in the Rise of Skywalker is that maybe they can control it now and that that is going to work to their advantage. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. I think that as they become stronger, which we have been – the the cast has been talking about how they've grown stronger and, like, they've become stronger in The Force and – they make each other stronger, which is something that was also said, which I think is really interesting, and I love it. What are they going to be able to do then with the Force Bond? I think that's the major question. Also, I'm just going to say it. We saw them touch hands across the Force Bond. I'd really like to see them kiss across the Force Bond. <laughs> I I'm would just too. bring it up. I would, too. I would, too. A hundred percent. Like, what would what would happen? I don't know. You know? I don't know. I just think that, like... That's pretty magical and special. Yeah. And I think that that would be really cool because it's this one thing that they both share and seemingly no one else has it, right? Or like it's – I don't know. I haven't really seen anyone have s something like Ray and Kylo's Force Bond. I think that we've seen iterations of it, but it's never been as strong as they are. To have another seemingly intimate moment, like the hand touch – I still will never get over that in my entire life. <laughs> um, again, in The Rise of Skywalker, I am on board. Again, this is where I can insert the clown music after The Rise of Skywalker. I am, I think I'm like 99.9% .9 sure they're going to kiss. Caitlin always needs a little bit more convincing, but I, I, I believe it. <laughs> I just, I know I'll be so sad if it doesn't happen that I... I will be sad if it doesn't happen, but I'd rather be surprised <laughs> than disappointed so i i i, I will to... be surprised if it happens that's that's for sure but i also think that it is going to happen it's confusing you know yeah i think that like the i think that their force bond is going to become a world between worlds type of place i think we've said this for a while of them going somewhere that it is going and this that's the other part of the dave quote too where he says it's not even so much about where 
Ezra physically is. It's or where Yoda is in that moment. It's about where they believe they are. And I really do think that this is also going to be a part of Rey and Kylo's story too, that it's almost like the sky's the limit if you believe in yourself, <laughs> which <laughs> is a really bad motivational poster. But I think that I think that is going to be a piece of their story. It's like, it's not even about necessarily where they actually are. It's where they think they are or where they think they could be if they worked together or even if they were in a battle or, or, you know, being antagonistic towards each other, because I think we're going to see all shades of that in this film. And Adam and Daisy and JJ have all kind of hinted at that. And I think they're going to go through a lot of emotional turmoil together and separately, but that it's always, you know, like a pendulum, they're always going to be brought back to each other like magnets um like yin and yang i just i don't know how this movie ends with them apart and how that's better than when we started this story that's like everything that we've seen is that like the moment when everything is right the moment when the force theme swells is its most triumphant is when they're together and we see it in other places, of course, because it's the Force theme and the Force does not just belong to Ray and Kylo. But the moment when everyone feels that, oh my God, it's when they're together. And, and whether it becomes romantic or, or not, it's it has it has to end with them. That's why it's like, it's so hard to even picture a version of this where Kylo dies. I think it's definitely possible, but I think it'll be one of those things that I'll kind of be hung up on of like, what is the point of making them balanced, of making them two halves of the same coin of, you know, he's pulling out darkness in her, she's pulling out lightness. And what is the point of all that? If <laughs> there's only one of them at the end, aren't we back to square one? I think that that's something that we can talk about in two weeks if it does happen. I think <laughs> that I don't, I, I firmly believe I'm with you that, if I were writing the story, I wouldn't have him die because I just don't think that that's how the Skywalker story should end. The movie's literally called The Rise of Skywalker, so there's that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, Ben is our last Skywalker, presumably, except for Leia. So I, I just, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like personally he shouldn't have to die to complete the story to have it a satisfying story. But if it happens and it's I'm going to sob no matter what, considering I think Kylo Ren is probably my new favorite. Like, I think he's right. It's so hard for me to say because I think Padme is my favorite character. But like, I think so much about Kylo Ren and his fate and everything that I think that in the past three years probably catapulted to that spot. And if he dies, I will be very upset. Okay, so what's more important, the romantic Raylo or him living? Like, you can only have one. Romantic Raylo. Even if he dies? Yeah, because I think that he would die in a sacrificial way that <sighs> restore the past, redeem the future, like from Rebels. That might be, I mean, I don't know, obviously, because I don't know the ending of the movie, but like if he dies in a way that Vader does in a symbolic way where he finally understands what his grandfather did and he also does the same because everything has led him to this point. And I think that if the only way for the, f for the future of the galaxy to be hopeful is for him to not be in it, which I just, I can't even imagine 
I think if he dies for love, I will be okay. It'll take me a long time. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I will be okay. I know that's the thing. We I, And I think I agree with you because I think that that like everything does kind of come full circle with the saga as a whole if it is for romantic love because that's what started this particular cycle, you know, with exactly. the Skywalkers. So I think, I think you're right. It's so funny because these like top two, three things of, you know, redemption, Raylo, a Raylo kiss, like living, where we're like, if it doesn't happen – I'll be really sad, but like I guess I'll get it get there. But it'll take me months, you know. And I wonder if we're really gonna get our whole checklist. <laughs> we won't. We're not gonna get our entire checklist at all. And I think. But what if we did? I okay, think redemption, gonna... romantic Raylo, and a kiss, and he lives. We could get that. <laughs> I, w- I wish I bet on this then. If that happens, we could, we could get that. It could all be ours. Redemption is number one. Like, that has to happen. That has to happen for me to feel any modicum of satisfaction with this story, honestly. I I think that's totally fair to say. Yeah. I I, I think that anyone who's like, well, maybe you shouldn't even like Star Wars if you have a wish list that it includes something that must happen. Well, when it kind of defines your whole understanding of the Star Wars saga as a whole, I think that it's fair to have that at the top of the wish list, given you read all those quotes. (laughs) I mean, you read all those quotes. So many quotes. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, this kind of has become like a a therapy session for you and I and that we've invited all of you listening in on of us to go through. Like, I remember a year ago having this conversation of like, okay, what are we going to be like if redemption doesn't happen? You know, like, let's even take Raylo off the table. You know, like, let's take romantic Raylo off the table. If redemption doesn't happen, are we going to be like like those people that are so upset about The Last Jedi that it's like what they do every day is, you know, hashtag Rowan Johnson or something like that? Like, I always want to be loving Star Wars. So I hope that – and right now, for me, what I love about Star Wars is talking about Kylo Ren's redemption. And <laughs> that, like, sounds ridiculous, but that has been my favorite thing to talk about for the past four years. Like, I've been on this redemption train since Force Awakens. You have as well. And and uh, and that it's crazy because a lot of other people too have been on the non-redemption train since Force Awakens, and so one of us has got to get off the train. <laughs> and it makes me it, it's like um I I just don't I hope that I can be the kind of fan that can still enjoy all the other pieces of star wars that i do really enjoy because you know being honest if redemption doesn't happen at all um i don't know if i'll be able to like enjoy the sequel trilogy the same way once it is complete knowing that that's where we end up i think that will be really i don't even know if that'll be something i can get over in like months and months and months i think it'll be really hard to accept the sequel trilogy that way um, and I know I've said that, like, if the story goes in that direction, I think I trust how Adam will portray it. But I think I will still be, like, f- <laughs> to be really honest, like, super heartbroken that not only has a lot of our speculation been proven wrong, because, you know, it's like, it's kind of a bummer when you're wrong. Um, but just that, like, we had so, like, we all, so many of us attached ourselves to this character, identified with different aspects of him that, to see him end up that way 
it's just it, it is really heartbreaking i think for those of us that do have sympathy for that character and have sought to understand him at a deeper level than just the villain i don't know <laughs> i'm with you i'm with you yeah why don't uh i think that we really want Raylo, and i think that there are plenty of episodes of ours that you can listen for a deeper dive onto that and I'm sure we'll have more to say about the connection between these two characters since it clearly is something that they're leading with with this movie um, after the movie comes out so why don't we move on to our next thing which is Finn and I think that something that I've talked about a lot is I just am really excited to see Finn kind of complete his hero's journey and I cannot wait for him to, I think that the ending of the hero's journey become master of two worlds. I think for him can include some sort of like grappling with the stormtrooper past. That's one world. And also bringing that into the future. That's the resistance and the fight for the galaxy. And I just hope that he is, that there's, that would be so cool. And I'd be so happy if there was a stormtrooper rebellion in that. And I, I think that, in order for Finn to acknowledge as part of himself, I think that this is an avenue they can go down. I think that they can go down other avenues too for that sort of exploration. But I do think that Finn is going to do something really cool in this movie. And I can't wait to see what it is because I even think back to, I think it was like the last two days that they wrapped the Rise of Skywalker. Do you remember this Instagram photo, Caitlin, of just his hands? Yeah. Like just John's hands. And he was like, I can't wait for you to see what work I've done. Whether that's force sensitive Finn I don't know, guys. Or like, what did he do with his hands? Like, I'm really excited <laughs> to see because that the photo I feel like is so artsy. It was like maybe he was just showing the dirt, which I think is something that he could have done, too. But I think it felt cryptic. And I am so pumped to see his relationship with with Jana and whether that's familial. I don't know. Or just a new friend. And I think that I, I mean, I would I kind of want Jana to be his long lost sister who was also maybe stolen. Maybe she, I don't know. Maybe she got out. Maybe there's, who knows? I'm excited to explore that because I think she looks so awesome. And I feel like the further exploration of Finn's story is something I cannot wait for. I think Finn is definitely one of my favorite characters. And I, I, I just think that he is on such like a clear path of a hero's journey that I think it will only continue really in this movie and I think that what John Boyega has said about Finn is that a lot of craft and care and discussion about like the script and his story have gone into making Finn like a badass and I can't wait to see that and it's not that I didn't think that before because I do think Finn is a complete badass I just think that it's it'll be great to see him step into that role again and be like an awesome warrior now that he's completely part of the resistance and like would clearly die for it like he did almost did in the last jedi Mm -hmm. yeah and it's never that finn hasn't been a badass it's just that that part of him hadn't been there yet he hadn't gotten there yet because he was like a lot of his act like his 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 catalyst in the force awakens was fear of wanting to get out of the first order and that like catapulted him into the resistance and we saw the last jedi at the beginning you know he wasn't there for the resistance he was there for ray 
But now by the end of it, he's there for himself and he's there for the resistance. And obviously, Ray is still an incredibly important person to him, as are Rose and Poe and, and Janna too. But I think you're right. Like Stormtrooper Uprising has been one of your favorite theories and it's something I am definitely behind. Like I think that would be great. I, but I hope – I hope what we see, like you said, is kind of a reckoning of where Finn came from, of him acknowledging like how horrible this was that he, you know, was taken from a family he'll never know. And like really coming to terms with that. I hope that Pisana or Janna, like that is my theory has always been that that's like where he's from whether or not Janet is related to him or not, but that like it is a homecoming for him and not only a home, like a literal homecoming, but also where he like, he's now a leader in the resistance. He, he is what Rose thought he was at the beginning of the last Jedi, but now he actually is there. And now he's like fully unleashed his badassery <laughs> and, yes. and like he has purpose and we saw him, gain that at the end and that that's what was so great about the dj character in the last jedi is that dj really helped poe uh finn realize that you know he couldn't just be on the sidelines of this and i it's like one of my favorite lines from last jedi is when they're like captured and they realize like poe uh finn and rose are captured and they realize that it was dj who sold them out and I forget what Finn says, but he says something to the effect of like, they're just like, like they're bad guys or something like that. And, and like, you're wrong. You made a mistake in doing this. And DJ just goes, maybe. And he like walks away with his reward. And it's so like nonchalant. And you see in that moment that Finn realizes that he can't be nonchalant about this and that he like through this journey with Rose has become entrenched in a positive way in the resistance and has found new meaning. And so I hope that in the in the rise of Skywalker that we really see Finn embracing his identity and that also means uncovering more of his identity. And because, you know, if you think about it, and we've talked about this so much, is, you know, for what, who you and I see as the three main characters, Ray, Kylo, and Finn, their whole trajectory has been about identity and belonging. Finn yep. didn't have a name in The Force Awakens. He was given one. Ray has been searching for her last name for her whole life. She realized she didn't need one in The Last Jedi. She was told no in the cave. She doesn't get to see who her parents are because it doesn't matter for her place in this story. She overcomes that. Kylo, that like that I think is going to be a big piece of Rise of Skywalker, obviously, is him coming to terms with whatever name he does finally choose for himself, Kylo or Ben or, you know, whatever else. <laughs> he adopts a completely new name. <laughs> who knows, man? Yeah. <laughs> what, if he, what if he becomes no one? Wow. Okay, table that for our conversation later. <laughs> <laughs> but they they all are also and they're all also having to grapple with where they came from. Like let the past die is wrong. Ray 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 does let the past die, but she also has to embrace it in order to let it die because that is not the defining feature of who she is. Kylo, it's a little bit different for him. That is obviously a big piece of who he is, but it but it is also not the defining part of who he is, um, is his past. And he has just rejected it outright, whereas Rey has so fiercely held on to this false hope of who her family is. And they are both on two extremes 
of that. But then also for Finn too, this is what you were saying, like with Jana or even what I was saying of, of him just coming back to his home planet, maybe of him finding out where he was coming from and being able to meld his identity with the resistance and with his family or with his home planet, whatever that turns out being. And maybe they still have his birth name, you know, and he gets to be both Finn and this new birth name, not this new birth name, but his original birth name too. And he gets to encompass both identities until it is just one identity. And I don't know, they all have this, I hope, like that would be a big wish in in The Rise of Skywalker is that we also, like you said, get to play, get to learn more about Finn's past too, because that's been a big piece of Rand Kylo's stories are their past and their relationship to their past. And it would be fitting if we saw that for Finn as well. Yeah, this metaphorical unmasking. I mean, these are all of our masked characters that we started Mm -hmm. with. (laughs) Yes, we have another mask, but who knows what that's going to turn out to be because it seems like it's a little different than what we've seen in the past. And it better be because that's where we are in the story. This idea that we're kind of like de-shelling and distilling down to like who they truly are throughout. I want to be able to trace that throughout the, the sequel trilogy. And I I don't doubt that that's going to be something that comes up, but I do I, I I can't wait to see what that means for Finn's story, really. Yeah, I think yeah. I just I think he's going to be really heroic. And I'm really excited to see that. I also think he's going to be very brash, more Yeah. See, that's the thing. I don't know. I feel like he could either be super brash or super understanding <laughs> and like calm. I I remember <laughs> a year ago I speculated that Poe could move into more of a Leia mentality because at that time we didn't know what they were doing with Leia um, as far as the character goes. He speculated that that Poe would move into more of that calm leadership position that Leia held because that was – I still think that's going to happen. I do too. And that was kind of where we saw him at the end, that like that was his journey in, in The Last Jedi. And that then Finn was going to become the more aggressive fighter that Poe was going to have to do the same thing with Finn that Leia did with Poe and kind of try and rein it in. But now I'm not so sure. I think that I think that Finn will be very aggressive, but I think he'll also be very calculated in a way that – Perhaps Poe wasn't in The Last Jedi. And maybe that'll come with the fact that, like, the people that they're fighting, hopefully, like, maybe Finn is like, those, those, like, that's, that could be me underneath there. Like, mm-hmm. he's bringing in a new perspective into the resistance that maybe there hasn't been. I don't know. I'm, I'm really excited. I think he, I think he's going to lay, I think Finn is going to lay everything on the line for the people he cares about in this film. I think he's going to be all about the group. I I agree. I agree. It'll be really interesting to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I think he more than ever is going to be like, we need to do this together. You can do this alone. Let us come with you. Like with, with Ray, obviously, you know, I think that's going to be his, like their strength in numbers. (laughs) It's very much about the group. And I think of course that's at at a point in the film, Ray, she's, she's going to be with Kylo and she's going to go on her own, too. And I don't think Finn is going to be okay with that. Maybe he will be, though. I think that would be a step. But we'll Or we see. see him not okay with it in the beginning, and then at the end he is okay with it. Well, yeah, I always think back about now when you see all the clips from the water fight when they're out on the Death Star. And Ray is the one that's aggressively fighting while it looks like Kylo is the one deflecting. And then you have... 
Finn screaming Ray's name. And then you have a shot of Kylo, I guess, in that photo that we've seen, looking kind of like surprised. Just wonder what's going on there. You have this shot then of, of Finn with Janna kind of looking scared. And perhaps it's of Kylo Ren. Could be. But what is happening here? I think that something, something honestly, like <laughs> just from a character development standpoint, something has to change within Ray. And wouldn't it be almost so surprising in the story if both of the people that she was perhaps closest to in this entire trilogy, Kylo Ren and Finn, are both witnessing her cha- like her change, something that is, you know, um, awakening inside of her. And whether that's I, – I'm speaking kind of vaguely about Dark Ray. Perhaps that's what's happening here. And I – I wouldn't would it wouldn't it be interesting if in that moment Kylo and Finn had another thing in common of you know witnessing this change and being at that point surprised at what at, like, having do. the same emotion yes yeah yeah that's yeah yes one of my favorite moments and I say this all the time in the beginning of the Force Awakens I just watched it because I just had on the Force Awakens because a friend on Twitter said that the 4K version on uh, Disney Plus is really great. And I have to say, listeners, it's amazing. It's very, it's like grainy. It's like filmy. It's fantastic. Really beautiful. Anyway, I was remembering how much I love the scene where Kylo and Finn kind of share this moment on in the, in the uh, Jakku village where it later it is revealed that Kylo knew exactly who he was. And I always like, I think you can project whatever you want to project on it. Did Kylo know that Finn like felt doubt? Um, and what were the emotions there? What was happening underneath the mask for both of them? I think that's like it's just such a good moment. There's so there's silence. There's it's like so loaded. And I think that in that the way I interpret it is they both have something in common there. This understanding of kind of fearfulness. I think like I think that Kylo is fil- filled with fear, and I I think in that moment Finn was also filled with his own type of fear. But because they're two different people, I think they come from two different like to two different places and i always wondered if there was a recognition of wanting to leave or wanting to you know change the path that you were on in that moment yeah and i think that perhaps like another moment like that would be so interesting yeah i think you're so right i think that's such an underrated moment that i i don't think i'd ever really considered as in depth until you brought it up in that way, you know, about how they do see each other. And there is this moment of connection and maybe it's just one sided with Kylo uh, feeling what Finn is feeling in that moment. And, you know, because they are masked, you really can read it in so many different ways and different interpretations. So if they were to have another moment like that, but unmasked in the last chapter, oh boy. <laughs> it would just be so good. It, it would be so be good. Really good. Also, if you have, if you have a character at this point, like, I don't know where Kylo is in his supreme leader. If they're going up against Palpatine, what else matters besides the fight against Palpatine? I think that that's something that's so interesting, too, that will be really fun to see. Like, are the First Order and the Resistance going to have some sort of common ground to take down whatever Palpatine's contingency is? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless, now, in this point, like, I don't know where Kylo is in his supreme leadership or what. And maybe they could be on the same side and Ray is not. Like in this sort of 
triangle of people who have all these shifting priorities, who is the one that's on the outs? In our brains, it's Kylo. But we've also heard that I think Daisy is the one that said recently that what the stuff that has come out, like fans are projecting so much on onto the scenes, but it's, and it's fun for her to hear the speculation because we have really no idea what's going on. I love that because I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? Yeah. Who's on what side and everything like that. But I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, and I, I am just really intrigued to see how it's all going to shake out because clearly something's happening there that's shocking or else Finn wouldn't be screaming. You know? Yeah. I think you and I kind of thought about so if you the Arch of the Rise of Skywalker book has an incredible cover, which is Ray, it's split in half, Ray and Kylo, because everything, every piece of marketing material that's come out has been Ray and Kylo. <laughs> but it's Ray on the top half with her lightsaber and she's bathed in it's red, the top half of the book, and she has her lightsaber pointed down and there's this, you know, like this line um separating the book in half, the book cover, and then Kylo is on the underside, like looking up, basically, and he is bathed in blue. Um his side of the book is blue, which Seems specific (laughs) for both of them, honestly. And did we? We didn't know about Dark Ray at that time. Nope. When she had the red on her side, Mm -mm. so that's interesting. (laughs) But we kind of thought that they, when you look at the backgrounds on that cover, and this is concept art, um, but is likely to be represented somehow in the film. But it is concept art on the cover of it. But it looks like the backgrounds behind them, the landscapes, are both different and the same. And they kind of could match what we've seen of, for example, Pisana or where the water fight is or the desert planet or even where we get that glimpse of Palpatine in the trailer. So – and we almost thought like what if they're like what if this is a representation of the of like that world between worlds type of place where they're like going in and out of it together or they're pulling each other through to these other places like like they're transporting <laughs> i don't know and ray suddenly just or finn suddenly just sees ray disappear and kylo appear like whoa <laughs> But they're oh, having this, so cool. It'd be so cool. But they're having this battle where they're going back and forth between these different places. I mean, imagine watching that. I can. I can really imagine it. <laughs> <laughs> I just I. But I, I almost think you're right, actually. I think I'd rather see like this moment. And the thing I don't know about is if Kylo knows. I don't think Finn knows how powerful Ray is. I think she has. I wouldn't be surprised if she has really been keeping it under wraps because I think it's something that kind of scares her. And I think she maybe recognizes that pull to the darkness of using that dark power to her advantage because she kind of does do that in The Last Jedi and she's pretty successful at it. And I can like really see a situation where for as much as she trusts and loves Finn, he doesn't understand the choices that she made in The Force Awakens or in The Last Jedi. And that is really isolating. And even though she, we've seen on some of the costume um, descriptions that Leia is helping to train Rey, I think even with that, I think some of that she is keeping to herself and, and, and internalizing because it probably is really scary the things that she's feeling like from The Force. But I wonder, I wonder how much of that Kylo knows or 
does know, we'll find out throughout the course of the movie. But I think you're right. Whatever this moment is with Finn, it's something that is completely shocking to him because he doesn't he doesn't know just how powerful Ray is. And I think this is a moment perhaps when he fully understands that Ray is on another level, the cosmic level. Yeah, I hope so. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think the next thing that we should talk about really is Palpatine because we really haven't really – we only talked about it just a little bit. But um, I think something that I really want to happen, and this goes back to our Rule of Two episode, what we read in the beginning, was I really want Palpatine to use Rey and Kylo against each other, whether that's Kylo initially or Rey somehow through this like dark understanding that you were just talking about. And I want them both as a unit together to rise above Palpatine. And I think that like the key here is both of them have to be together in order to defeat Palpatine. Like one cannot do it alone. Yeah, exactly. And this goes back to Zach's email at the top of the show and our rule of two episode about a month back is that always two there are. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, as we've kind of been harping on for the past God, two hours at this point, the, this is going to be our longest episode ever. I feel it. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the point is to to stop the cycle of tragedy. We laugh about Star Wars being a tragedy, and it is because it is mythic, and myths are tragic. And that is tradition and classical, and those are all things that Star Wars is and strives to be and has become in the past 40 years. And, but the point is like, this is closing out the Skywalker saga. And even if it is left open-ended, they're marketing it as the end of the Skywalker saga. And so there has to be this finite end. And the point is, is that Anakin couldn't do it by himself. Luke couldn't do it by himself either. And we know that Luke couldn't do it by himself because we were in the sequel trilogy timeline (laughs) and things are still (laughs) bad. And that's why he couldn't, but, but they were alone they were by themselves. And and even though, like Zach pointed out, like there was this uh, rule of two relationship with Palpatine, with Anakin, and with Padme, it was unbalanced and it wasn't good. It wasn't of the cosmic force. It was something perverted and evil and selfish. And so, of course, it didn't work out. And so we have to get to this point at the end where it does come full circle And that's not repetition, that's story. (laughs) And that's where it needs to go. And everything from the past 40 years has been telling us that things come in pairs. All of these pairs, though, have been imbalanced. They haven't worked. Here is a pair that works. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we are just – we're getting to the thing where we get to our happy ending. That's why you and I are such proponents of Ray and Kylo live and die together, and they're definitely not – gonna kill ray as i say that i suddenly get like this pit in my stomach but they're definitely not gonna kill ray and so that i don't know caitlin i don't i I don't know i know i I just don't know (laughs) my stomach drops i'm like honestly i've never even entertained the idea of ray dying oh i'm (laughs) I'm like i haven't either but i don't know i think that it's like everyone is kind of on the chopping block in this final movie that perhaps another like a sacrificial something could happen for Ray as well. I don't think it should, but it could. Yeah. Anyway, 
<laughs> yeah, honestly, I've never entertained the idea of, of her dying. It's only ever been Kylo. I don't, I don't think they'll do that. I, I, that would surprise me more than them not doing redemption for Kylo. Honestly, yeah, totally. I think that's so low on even possibilities that we should stop talking about it because it makes me sad. All right, yeah, we're moving on. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the thing that Daisy said today, which is okay. super cryptic, super interesting. She said it in Entertainment Weekly. So interesting. So Daisy was asked to give a one-word clue about the Rise of Skywalker, like something that I don't I they didn't print this question, which kind of bothers me. I wish that they asked like they they printed like what's one thing that you thought of for the Rise of Skywalker. And she said do you know what springs to my mind? Cyclops. And the first time I read this, I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, okay, one singular eye. I'm like, this doesn't go with my thoughts of Rula 2 at all. Yeah, I was like, this is literally like not, not it at all. So I did some digging and I'm no expert in like Greek mythology, but the TLDR version of the like myth about Cyclops is really interesting and definitely pertains to her, to Ray, and I it will be fascinating to see if this is exactly how it goes. Given the fact that I found out today that uh, Daisy studied classics like mythology and classic lit, uh, like the the classics. Yes, classics. Thank you. Ancient civilizations and classic civilizations before studying acting. So she does come into this. I didn't know this, which is really interesting. And I, now I know what I would ask Daisy. Should I interview her? <laughs> <laughs> okay. A mythic understanding of Star Wars given a little bit of that background, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like this is so interesting. So she says the word Cyclops. So in Greek mythology, AKA like the Odyssey. Odysseus is on his journey home and he like he's in a boat. This is like where we get the stories about like the sirens who are calling to a lot of that like comes from this story of Odysseus. And he ends up on this island where the Cyclops live and he meets this slave. Like there's a whole population of people that are enslaved by the Cyclops and he meets the servant of the Cyclops, Polythemus. And the servant basically tells him that Polythemus and all the Cyclops, they live by no laws, they have no rules, they're cannibals, and they're going to kill you. And Odysseus is like, well, they shouldn't do that because, like, I'm Odysseus and I'm the son of a god and you should give me this, like, great Greek welcome. And there's, like, this thing, like, if you, like, Greek hospitality, I, I don't know a lot about it, but from what I do know, it's, like, you tell who you are and where you come from and and then, like, you're supposed to be treated well and your hosts are supposed to, you know, put you up and give you food and stuff like that. And the servant to Polythemus is like, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and um, so – Polythemus comes back. He's he. I don't know if he sees or he smells something like that. He sees or smells Odysseus and his crew. Basically, tells his servant to fry up Odysseus and his friends so he can eat them for dinner. And Odysseus starts to run away. He leads him into a cave where there are a bunch of sheep, and Odysseus starts hiding behind the sheep. <laughs> and this is what I think of with Rise of Skywalker. I'm like, are there going to be sheep? <laughs> the Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> But Polythemus starts asking 
Odysseus who he is. And because Polythemus, it's like if he knows his name, then he can- – because Polythemus is also a son of gods. Like Odysseus and Polythemus both have relationship to the gods. And so they both kind of think that that excuses them. Like therefore Polythemus can do whatever he wants and therefore um, Odysseus should like be welcome wherever he goes because he's a son of the god. And Odysseus calls on the help of Athena, who is, of course, the god of wisdom, goddess of wisdom. And anyway, Odysseus hides with the slaves, and Polythemus keeps asking, like, who are you so I can find you? And Odysseus keeps saying, I'm no one. I'm no man. I'm no one. And so then Polythemus keeps saying, where is no one? And he keeps calling to the gods, help me find no one. (laughs) And he just sounds stupid. And basically, that's the thing is that Odysseus hides his identity and he ends up like throwing a spear in Odysseus's eye or in Polythemus, the Cyclops eye and blinds him. And that's how he escapes the island. And that's a really. But he he frees the slaves by killing the Cyclops. This is what's interesting, though, is is Ray actually no one because Odysseus hides. I know that he's no one. That's really the thing. I mean, I think that it's. I will be upset. I will get over it, but I will be upset <laughs> if they walk back on that. I do think there's more to the story. They've said there's more to the story, and there can be more to the story because there is one more chapter. We say that about everything else. Why Why can't we say it about this? But I would be surprised if they go that way. But with this understanding, <laughs> Odysseus is hiding his parentage and assuming the role of no one which is interesting yeah that's that and and when i first heard it i was thinking about the sheep and honestly my head just kind of put the sheep on the death star in the rain and i was like that's an interesting (laughs) image and like ray and kylo running around (laughs) with the sheep and that's dumb that's funny but that's where my head went (laughs) and then i was like okay is is Ray the polythemus? Is Palpatine polythemus? Is Ray hiding her identity in the Force? Is she being hidden by the Force? Because, you know, you think about Snoke in The Last Jedi, as I often do. I don't, actually. And he says, I thought that it was, you know, darkness rises and light to meet it. I thought it was going to be Luke Skywalker, but it turns out it was you. And what I love to say is that Ray is the accidental fracture and that she's the reason that all of this is happening is because she is so separate from everything that has come before. Like a couple months ago, I drew this super complicated, like, quote unquote, family tree of all of the masters and apprentices and families with that we've really seen in Star Wars, like within the Skywalker saga. And it was so messy. <laughs> Like emotionally messy, but also it was literally a messy diagram. But Ray is connected to none of that. And that's like, that's what's making the difference here. And so she's unexpected. And I've said this for a while. I think she was unexpected to Palpatine as well. I don't think he saw her coming. And maybe because he didn't see her coming, he also can't find her in the force because she is such an anomaly. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of hoping that's where we go with this parallel <laughs> um, and that she is actually no one. But like this myth is about Odysseus hiding who he actually is and that he is a son of gods and that he is important. Like he's he's the wealthiest man on his island back home um, and his wife is just waiting there. Whatever. But I, I hope that it's more – I hope she's, like, really just taking us to the nobody punchline here and not the nobody hiding who he truly is punchline. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. Yeah. The key thing here that I think is really interesting is that when Odysseus does stab the Cyclops, which I think Ray is Odysseus and Cyclops is Palpatine, so Ray stabbing Palpatine in the eye, that would be really interesting. Oh. And I think that would be quite symbolic of someone who sees everything and is everywhere and nothing goes underneath what he is aware of, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that the key thing here is Ray killing Palpatine would free the slaves if we if this is a direct parallel. And it makes me think of Anakin's one wish in in The Phantom Menace that I've been thinking about a lot, that he had a dream that he came back and freed all the slaves. When slavery is still present in the galaxy, the, the, in the movie that started it all, and that was such a huge theme and everything, I think that here we have the end to injustice, I suppose, in this fairy tale. I would really like to see that be fully carried through um, if if we are to go down this parallel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I almost think that'll be something that happens in material that comes out after the film, just because I don't I know like, what kind of time they have to show that in the film. Like, are they going to do something like the end of Return of the Jedi where we just get snapshots of all these other planets? I don't know. Yeah. But I think like the important part of what you were talking about is that it does bring us to like Anakin and there being it does. Like, they might like the very first trailer we saw of this film was a direct callback to the to the Phantom Menace, and we've been talking a lot about like coming full circle, you know, reaching the end of this story, and you know that the Kylo does have these big connections to Anakin Skywalker, and it feels fitting that there be mention of him at the very least. <laughs> yes, that's what I need. I need a mention of Anakin. Um, That's it. That's honestly it. (laughs) I think that a force ghost would be ideal. A voice would be great. A conversation between Anakin and Luke as force ghosts would be a godsend. (laughs) (laughs) It's not going to happen. But if it did, oh my God. I really do. Like, I, I, I do feel like it has to happen. There was already a mention of Anakin. There's already a mention of Darth Vader. Way more in The Last Jedi than I even expected. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to assume that it's going to come in in this last piece of the entire saga. Six of the movies being about him. And then you have his grandson who is talking to a Vader helmet. So, As you do. <laughs> so it's gonna, he's going to come up. And I I need a further connection. I think it's always so fascinating to even consider if Ben knows about Anakin's own redemption because I think that it has been purposely kind of murky in canon about what he knows and what he doesn't Mm -hmm. know um, probably because they were going to explore it somehow in the story but the purposeful murkiness yields I don't know uh, an expectation that that will be resolved Mm -hmm. I think resolved or touched upon um, in a way that connects back to the prequels I think that the story I think the sequel trilogy exists to write the injustices that were started in the prequel trilogy and never actually all completed in the original trilogy. And I think that 
obviously, obviously externally it exists to make a ton of money, but I think the story itself, <laughs> I just, I, I felt like I had to say that. <laughs> I think that we it, live in a capitalist society. society. I feel like it exists though to answer the question of where did this all go wrong? And if we can look at the tragedy of the prequels, how can we change the tragedy of the prequels? Um, f- like it goes back to the letter that we got from Zach where the the thought of just the emperor being thrown down a shaft at the very end of return of the jedi could that really be it and the answer is no that's not really it because there's a whole bunch of stuff that was unresolved we have two lovers that never got together despite the 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 need for each other the fact that they deserve some sort of happiness and joy i'm talking about anakin and padme we have we have Leia who hasn't even, you know, resolved the fact that her father was Darth Vader, rightfully so, because she hasn't even had that chance. But here she has a son who's turned to the dark side. And now it's personal for her in the same way it was for, for Vader and Luke. Yeah. And I think that's what's so unfortunate about Carrie Fisher's passing is that I think that was going to be really brought full circle. I do think that they're able they're going to be able to do that perhaps with Harrison Ford, perhaps with another conversation about Han Solo. I don't know, but I think that there's there's a lot of unresolved tension and I think that it all starts to me with Anakin Skywalker. I think that we've lived so long thinking that the saga is about Anakin that it has to be brought back to him. I think that, like, Caitlin, how long did we go being like, no, Star Wars is about Anakin Skywalker. Like, it's about the the fall of Anakin Skywalker and the redemption of Darth Vader and the Skywalker family and everything that happens in between. Mm-hmm. And then we have these three movies that are s- seemingly separate from that besides blood relations. And it's like the ending, no, the ending has to sort of answer that question that was brought up in the prequels that made the mythology of Star Wars so much deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like what's the point of watching Anakin's story for six films? Like it's still at the right. end of the day, Anakin's getting the most screen time out of yes. all of our characters. And what's the point of watching his rise and fall if we're just going to continue to watch his family fall? Yep. Well, that's why the movie is called The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> no, literally. Falling. It just it has falling. To, it just like it, it has to be, you know, revenge return rise like we have to we have to get there we have to we're literally singing to the end we're rising and mm-hmm. it, we have to repair the past in order to redeem the future restore the past redeem the future mm, huh rebels. sounds like i've heard that in canon <laughs> it's almost <laughs> like dave Filoni wrote it yeah mm. he did. Mm. <laughs> oh and like always we circle back <laughs> always always we are even cyclical in our own speculation. I'm sorry. Speaking of Dave Filoni, something oh, that I what? brought up in the our speculation episode in June 2018 was how I want there to be in a world between worlds situation many force ghost voices. Force ghost, force ghost voices. And I think in I think it was that episode, I'm not sure, it that was. I brought up that I wouldn't be surprised if we heard an Ahsoka voice because I think it would like be surprising and depressing. And I I think that if it was just a voice rather than a ghost, I think it would still kind of leave the question open about how long she lived in the same way that like it's not like all the voices we heard in World Between Worlds, like everyone's dead, you know. <laughs> but I think it would be really cool, a, con- a really cool connection that 
you know, I think the general audience might not know who that is, but a voice saying like, I don't know, some forcey, cool Star Warsism about hope that was said <laughs> by Ahsoka. Okay, I mean, you know what I mean. I think it would it it would resonate if it was interlayered with other things like Yoda and Qui and uh, maybe Qui Gon, maybe Obi Wan, any anyone that had to do with Ben Solo and Anakin and anything that like is linked to Rey. I think that's the main question that always comes up is like, how did the story circle back to Rey? Because Rey is our main character and this is her story we're seeing everything through her eyes and how will this sort of what feels like fan service come into play here yeah that's what i'm worried about is it being super fan servicey and also like having the layering voices is that too much like world between worlds like will uh, we, we saw it in the force back yeah but it was not the same I know, but um, it could be done way differently. It could be, especially depending on what the world between worlds type of place looks like in The Rise of Skywalker. If there is a place like that, um, it's obviously not going to look like what we saw in Rebels. It's probably going to look a lot different. Um, yeah, I think that <laughs> I would lose my mind <laughs> if we heard Ahsoka. And and that's that's kind of the big thing that worries me with The Rise of Skywalker is because I think the fan service and Easter eggs and The Force Awakens were its weak point for me. Not even the plot mirroring to A New Hope. That doesn't even bother me as much anymore. Um, but like the Easter eggs, I just don't enjoy in the force awakens and so that's what i'm hoping we don't get more of from jj in the rise of skywalker and i don't think we will because i think jj has spoken a lot about how much ryan inspired him to really push the boundaries for the rise of skywalker and he's definitely acknowledged that like the force awakens was made very specifically to reintroduce the world to this franchise and he felt like he i think he even said i i I played it safe in the force awakens and seeing what ryan did was really exciting to jj and really kind of helped him be more creative i think with the rise of skywalker and i don't mean to put words in your mouth jj but uh that's kind of how i interpreted some of what you said so you know if that's gonna happen I hope if if that happens, like this layering of voices or something, you better give me every freaking Jedi that we've ever seen across <laughs> Star Wars. Like, I want to see everyone. <laughs> exactly. Give me Plo Koon. Give oh my me God. Sifo-Dyas, <laughs> Okay, me, I don't know if I want this. Give me Dooku. My God, give me Dooku. <laughs> give me Ezra in there. Ahsoka. Oh, Kanan. Oh, let's just go for and that's it. That's fan servicey. Yeah, but, like, if he's going to do it well, then, yeah, sure, be more fan servicey. Get Freddie Prince Jr. in there. I don't care. <laughs> I know. That would be great. I think that th- there's room for surprising stuff like that. I mean, this is the same franchise. Last movie they released, they ended it with Darth Maul. <laughs> so <laughs> I think some sort of interconnectivity is expected. I think there's this movie has a lot to do, and I think it will happen in a surprising way, a subtle way that won't like confuse the audience. But this is truly the same studio that confused the audience with Solo in an interesting way. You know, you're not wrong. I know. <laughs> I'm aware. 
<laughs> oh boy, 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 boy. Okay, so the next thing you have written on our list is a satisfying use of Luke and Leia. And I'll be honest, I have no idea what this looks like. I think I don't either. I think that Luke. I think that for me, Luke has always like that photo from Vanity Fair, right? That we're all like, whoa, where'd that come from? Um, Of of Luke with R2-D2 in this fire, mystical fire type of place. I think I've always anticipated Luke appearing to Kylo and Rey, maybe individually at some point, but at one point together in that world between worlds type of place in this other realm or through this other means. Not, and maybe it's a flashback, but I think it's like a more physical vision where they can actually converse with him and, and maybe even different from what we've seen as far as Force ghosts. That's kind of where I've always seen him coming. And and I think that Luke has, is a part of showing them what has come before and maybe explaining, like, this is who Palpatine is. He's super bad. And we threw him down a well, but, like, clearly that didn't work. <laughs> And I kind of think that's what he's going to do. Leia is, is so ambiguous and, and has been for forever. I think before Carrie Fisher passed, we always thought about her being this big fulcrum in Ben's redemption because she is his mother. And she, even though she lost hope in The Last Jedi, that's obviously not where her character development was going to stop. And she was going to get that hope back that she carried for you know, 10 years or however long Ben was on the dark side or is on the dark side and that that was going to be a piece of it. Um, and I still think it is going to be. I just don't – again, it's like the, that broad stroke storytelling, the details of how all that shakes out with Leia is is hard. Yeah. It really is. It's going to be painful. Yeah. But I think that – I do have faith that it is going to be, I'm going to be satisfied with Luke in this movie, which I think is kind of a given because I really love his character and everything that he represented in The Last Jedi. And I feel like it seems like everyone is really confident in the footage of Leia that, and I am thrilled to see that it looks like she's going to be training Rey. I think that that is great. It's also like a big kind of, um, screw you to people who thought that she wasn't force sensitive or like oh you thought the leia poppins was weird well guess what she can really use the force Mm -hmm. you know i love that um and i can't wait to see that in action i feel like that's like a wish fulfillment for so many people and so many fans to see that fully like in action i think that that's not saying that her literally saving herself which is like the coolest thing ever from Space isn't in in action, but like I think in a training situation, holding a lightsaber, anything like that would be amazing. Yeah, I I still think Leia Poppins is a little strange. Surprising. It was surprising in the movie theater. It was the concept (laughs) of it. I'm a hundred percent for the execution of how it looked in the film. Still, like not my favorite part. I'll just say that. I agree. I agree. I like having Leia using the Force, so I'll take it. But yeah, I think that her surprising people will be great too as far as just exactly how deep her connection to the Force goes. It obviously does go very deep because she has such an an emotive connection to the Force. I think she feels things a lot more deeply and intuitively than Luke did. And I kind of think she gets that from Anakin, honestly. So Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. 
So my next thing was actually a C-3PO thing. Everyone's surprised. Oh my God. I know. I, <laughs> and to keep it short and simple, just C-3PO getting back his memories and explaining what really happened with Anakin and Padme and how like – like him just telling the tale of Order sixty six, or watching the Jedi Temple burn, or 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 Padme going to Mustafar. I don't know that. Like, if he he is the storyteller in Return of the Jedi, and he was he and R two D two were always kind of posed at this framing narrative for uh, the Skywalkers for for Star Wars, and so he really has been there. And as much as he does annoy me, um, I think that I think that's pretty clearly you know anthony daniels has been so loud about c-3po having <laughs> that was so diplomatic aren't you proud of me yeah i am so proud <laughs> he's been very loud about c-3po having a role in this film and i think that he is going to impart a really important detail about this whole about the whole kit and caboodle that is gonna <laughs> is going to push our characters along. He's going to reveal something that maybe we as the audience knew but had forgotten about, this detail that even we haven't considered as playing a piece into wherever this story is going. Yeah. So the next one on the list is uh, a casual blood sacrifice. I'm 100% pro casual blood sacrifice. Yeah, same. So in Rebels, if this is your first time listening, in Rebels, in Clone Wars, specifically the Yoda arc, and then in Rebels, anytime Palpatine is there, there seems to be something about casual blood sacrifices that ignite something that looks similar to a Force Bond, a sort of transformation into a space. Um, but it happened through a blood sacrifice over a dish that I have lovingly <laughs> called a bird bath. <laughs> And in it, there are, you know, some blue fire, the same exact fire that you see when <laughs> Palpatine is thrown down the shaft. And also you see it on the poster that was revealed at D23, this blue flame, this blue fire. And then you also see it in Rebels and in the Clone Wars. So it's definitely something that follows Palpatine. And how crazy would it be if we got a casual blood sacrifice again, Caitlin? I will die. <laughs> the important levitate in the chair. Yeah, literally. The important thing <laughs> that you're leaving out of the casual blood sacrifice whole king caboodle that comes in the bird bath is that in the Yoda arc, Palpatine. So <laughs> let's back up. I feel like for some reason I feel like we have a lot of new listeners on this episode. I don't know why, but they're getting so much, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> People who listen to... It's like realizing we have like a lot of isms. <laughs> I know. We're like, we've talked about this before, like a hundred times before, a million times before. <laughs> yeah. When really it's just like our same friends who listen to the show and they're like, yeah, no, we know about the casual blood sacrifice, but I'm going to break it down again. So yeah. Dooku, right, in the second trilogy, his original master before he turned to the dark side was Yoda. Okay, that's important that you know that. And then in the Yoda arc in Clone Wars, which is all about Yoda discovering how to pass on into the Force to to make himself a Force ghost after he dies. That that's what he learns in those three episodes. What he's supposed to learn anyway. So Palpatine knows that Yoda is doing some crazy ish with the Force. So he calls his apprentice Dooku. He uses Dooku's blood in order to connect to Yoda, to bring Palpatine to Yoda. Because even though 
Dooku's on the dark side now and Yoda is not. They still have this master. Have a force bond. They still have a, I almost cursed. They still have a freaking force bond. (laughs) And it can be manipulated. It's too much, guys. It's It's just too much. much. (laughs) I I feel it in my bones that Palpatine is going to try and use that to like like what we were talking about before with Rey and Kylo be, like Palpatine using them against each other or capturing one manipulating one in order to call the other because their bond is so much stronger than what Dooku and Yoda had <laughs> and what <laughs> and literally bye oh my god and and even even in world between worlds we see this this birdbath again and my theory is that palpatine used vader's blood to access the world between worlds because he knew ahsoka was there and ahsoka and vader still have their force bond which we've also seen like ahsoka has it earlier in rebels with vader we've seen that it's still intact there and so i think he did it again and all I'm saying is that you need to freaking look to the animation, animation department for the future of Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> and I, this, I should probably move this up on the list, honestly, because it goes, okay, here's the order. It goes Raylo, uh, Redemption, Raylo, um, World Between Worlds, and Casual Blood Sacrifice. That's pretty good. I would say that mine are similar, except I think it goes Redemption, Raylo, Stormtrooper Uprising, then world between worlds and then casual one sacrifice fair and then anakin skywalker hayden christensen yep so yep okay and then the last thing which is also just a staple in sky talkers speculation is ray and finn having a super angsty discussion about the events of the last jedi here for it that's all i need to say all Caitlin wants is an angsty combo between them because there's so much left unsaid, so many secrets. And I, semi-spoilers for Resistance Reborn, but this conversation could have happened then, but I don't think it did. And I think that we're – like there's a there's a point where I was like, oh, my God, the conversation is happening. I remember texting Caitlin. I was like, Caitlin. I was ooh. like, no. You were like, did my conversation happen in a book? <laughs> <laughs> no offense to the books, but I think we really wanted to see it on screen. And yeah. and I was like, I don't think it did. <laughs> I don't think it did. Not confirmed. But basically, oh. I mean, you guys saw The Last Jedi. There's a lot of secrets there. <laughs> you guys saw The Last Jedi. <laughs> Kylo killed Snoke, but everyone thinks Rey killed Snoke. What happened in the throne room? It's going to come to the surface, guys. And I can't wait to see it. And if Finn is the closest to Rey, they're best friends. They're best friends. What's going to happen when Rey's desires that include Kylo in some form or fashion, I I feel like that has to be a conversation. Because, you know, Rey's, Rey's part of this group. They've made it very clear to us in the marketing that... Ray is happy to be on a journey with this group together. So what's going to happen with the conversation between the group and the fact that Ray is the last Jedi <laughs> <laughs> and and has a force bond with Supreme Leader Kylo Ren. And that conversation is going to be so angsty and so interesting and I think messy because we've seen some conversation also in the press of like, you know, these friends will fight like they, they're going to fight. 
I'm mm-hmm. so excited about that because I don't want things to be happy-go-lucky. That's not what I'm into. That's not why I watch Star Wars. <laughs> I watch it because it's so much tragic. angst and it's tragic and everything. And not saying that that's going to be the end of this, you know, new trio. But I do think that it – I can't wait to see some sort of – because they're different people. They're all different people with the slightly different priorities. And Ray. Like the the line, you know, it's such an interesting. So there's only been like a couple of, of like clips with like actual dialogue that have been revealed to us, right? We've seen the one the they fly now already iconic. <laughs> they fly now, um, and then we have Ray using a Jedi mind trick on two stormtroopers who immediately succumb to it, and then Finn and Poe being like, "Does she do that to us?" Which is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a. It's like I think it is played for laughs, but there's a slight insecurity there, which I think is so interesting, and I can't wait to see that explored because that's what I'm here for. <laughs> you know, same. Yeah, I think it goes. You know, like no one, and we've said this before in this episode and a hundred times over, is like no one understands what Ray went through because you know Finn's journey in the Last Jedi was becoming entrenched in the Resistance, and not to say that Ray is not entrenched in the Resistance, but she became a part. Like she realized that there's a lot more going on than just the Resistance. I think because you know in the beginning of the Last Jedi, when she gets to Octo with Luke, she's got her whole elevator pitch of like. The Resistance is in horrible shape. Kylo Ren has turned to the dark side. Like, she practiced it the whole way with Chewie and the Millennium Falcon, right? And that's what, like, it isn't until Luke finally asks her, why are you here a million times over, that she finally gets to the heart of it. Like, yes, she's here for the Resistance, but she's also here for herself because, as she says, something has awakened inside of her and she doesn't know what to do with it. And it's really scary. And that's not something that Finn understands because Finn hasn't really witnessed it. And also, like, for Finn... Ray, like it doesn't matter who Ray is, he's still going to love her and care about her. But like as he became more entrenched in the resistance, she in a way like ascends into the cosmic force, into her role in the cosmic force, and and that of course is entangled and embroiled with Kylo Ren. And so while she is of course on the good guy's side within the Rise of Skywalker and is working towards that goal of dismantling the First Order. She's got a lot more going on, too. And that's why I think some of it she may be keeping to herself. And again, if it all like I'm sure the First Order is putting out like all these basic like propaganda that's like Ray of Jakku killed Snoke. And Finn's like, what? <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 that didn't happen. Like Kylo Ren killed Snoke. And then like I like we passed out and I left him there. <laughs> And I didn't kill him, and I actively chose not to kill him. And then I used an escape pod to leave, and I didn't bring him with me, and I just left him there. And I, with his lightsaber. With his lightsaber. Important to note. <laughs> Alive. Also important to note. <laughs> and I don't – like, again, I don't think that'll sit well with Finn because I don't – I think it'll be really hard for him to understand the choices that Ray made because he doesn't understand her power. Not because he doesn't care about her, but just because I don't think Ray even understands exactly. She has a much greater understanding at the end of The Last Jedi. But again, this is only part two of three. So yeah, AC conversation. I'm ready for it. Like, because, you know, and going back to your point about Poe, about Finn and Kylo having that moment at the beginning of The Force Awakens, we tend to look at it at, through Kylo's perspective of like, oh, did Kylo sense something familiar, something familiar in the hesitation that Finn felt in that moment? But for Finn, in a way, 
Kylo is the architect of that whole situation. Yeah. And it's like, well, you, Kylo? Kylo? You left that. You had and a they fought. They had a lightsaber battle. Yeah, exactly. Ex- exactly. Yeah. How could I forget? <laughs> like you can't forget that. The fact that Kylo deeply wounded Finn and that was the reason why he was out of commission and completely missed Rey leaving. Yeah, and I exactly. think that like there's there's a there's just there's a there's a bit of a fracture there, like a miss like I don't I think that like there's obviously villainy at play there, but I think that you know, Finn has a lot against Supreme Leader Kylo Ren, and it's understandable. And understanding then at this point, Ray's like Finn's best friend, Ray, actually has, I mean, for lack of a better term, a relationship with with Kylo. You know, mm-hmm. and what? How's that going to play? Because that's deeply interesting. Yeah. So anyway, they have a lot to talk about, and uh, I want to see. I want them to hash it out. I want just. Ugh. I, I want the, the resolve of this for Finn to fully understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's that's really key for me. And I, I, I have no doubt in that, that Finn wouldn't at the end side with Rey in her judgment. But I would like to see it. <laughs> <laughs> And I think even what I'll be interested to see is if they tell Poe all of this, because I think it will come out with Finn. Will they tell Poe? I think Poe will actually be the harder sell than Finn if he finds out about it, too. I assume they will, because I, I think Leia will. T- I don't know. I'm very interested. <laughs> I'm very interested Same. in the rest of Skywalker. We have, I mean, here's the thing. We just reached the end of our, our list. We're at we're at part one. This is going to be our longest episode ever. I don't think the next two parts are going to be as long as this one, but I think that we had to get it all out there. And I feel like with all that we just said, I still feel like I don't know this plot of this movie. I've read no leaks. Caitlin, Caitlin has read no leaks. We don't know anything about the plot of this movie <laughs> and they haven't re- revealed it at all what is the MacGuffin? i have no idea i mean we didn't know it for the force awakens either but like and i keep thinking about that about how little we both knew about the force awakens and the last jedi i think that for the last jedi we both understood that all of our characters were going to be separated because it was going to follow a similar thing for return of the jedi um not return of the jedi empire strikes back obviously and i think that it was And, like, the tensions would be high because it's the second movie and that's just how Star Wars works, right? And I think that it's just really interesting going into this movie where I have, like, I have literally no idea what's going on. The fact that they showed their cards of Palpatine so early on is, what else is in this movie, guys? What is in this movie? I don't know. (laughs) Because I don't know what it's about. I really don't. (laughs) Yeah, no, you know, same. It's just so funny. We've been talking about this, I think, for two and a half hours, Caitlin. Ooh. <laughs> okay, well, should we move on to part two? Let's move on to part two, Wild Theories. <laughs> okay, welcome to part two. <laughs> Where we're talking about Wild Theories. And we're two and a half hours into this. <laughs> 
my wild theory is that, like the Cyclops myth, sheep show up on the Death Star. Oh my God, Caitlin, you gotta let it go. Just to know. <laughs> the thing, the thing that's funny that I just like, I just did not bring it up because I didn't think it was gonna be brought up for a third time. You talking about sheep? But <laughs> it's not the first time we've seen some sort of like pastoral understanding. Like we literally have oh my like God. space sheep in Attack of the Clones. It's true. All right, let's go on to our first wild theory. Yeah, that shut you up. <laughs> no more sheep. <laughs> okay, wait, okay. Imagine this though: <laughs> not sheep, but loth cats. <laughs> or oh my loth god! Wolves. Too much. Too much. The too loth much. wolves. The force wolves. <laughs> Imagine a herd of force wolves on the Death Star, like d- running and like doing whatever it is they do with Ray and Kylo. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, for it. Okay, so our first wild theory is undercover Kylo. This, the fact that this is even on the wild theory list is wild itself because I had this theory like right after The Force Awakens came out. And even then, it was a crack theory. I was like, what if, what if Kylo and Han, and, and other people had this theory too. Um, like, what if Kylo and Han had this whole plan and like they knew that Han had to die? Like, he just had to die in order for Kylo to get closer to Snoke in order to, like, save the day. And, like, it's all been set up from the beginning. And we're going to find that out later. And here we are. We're back at this theory. The undercover Kylo theories will never stop. And it is just gets so confusing when you reintroduce the mask. And then you have Adam Driver talking about how, like, the mask does something surprising. Yeah. And how all the marketing for a long time seemed to be masked Kylo. And then we'd get shots of extremely sad, kind of anguished looking Kylo Ren that were like very few and far between, almost in like the single digits still of unmasked Kylo. And I think that it's really interesting because if you consider, I don't, I don't know. I don't believe it. I just think it's a, it's a wild theory. (laughs) I don't really believe it. But I I think that I, – I don't know. I think there could come a point. I don't think that he's been undercover Kylo this whole time. Um, yeah. But I think there could come a point in the film when Ray and Kylo are finally on the same team, quote-unquote. Yes. And they have to act separately within yes. their respective roles in order to – like dupe Palpatine that sounds ridiculous but no it doesn't sound ridiculous it sounds exactly right like I think that that's that's exactly what's gonna happen (laughs) and they're like and Ray's like Kayla you have to put back on the mask because no one will believe you if they look at your face (laughs) can you imagine if that's an actual conversation the Raylo fandom would die (laughs) (laughs) he wears his heart on his sleeve but it's in his eyes (laughs) So that's kind of the interesting thing. The, the, the undercover Kylo theory re- has really just come about today with Adam's comments about the mask being surprising. And that's when you see the real, like, that's when you really see him. What? Well, what's so interesting about the mask, and I think we, we had already talked about this. I think it was two hours ago <laughs> that I... <laughs> I mean, the whole the Kintsugi of it all is really just kind of mind boggling a a little bit. If it really is a display of all these precious scars and um, really like a map of everything that is broken inside of you, but on the outside and a display of that, 
I mean, it really is kind of a dichotomy that exists between what a mask is usually for to cover up versus um, display displaying. Yeah. And I think that if if it really is the meaning of he puts on the mask in a separate way, like maybe like halfway through the movie in a different way that he did in the beginning of the movie, um, I think that could be really meaningful. I think we all had this understanding of the mask that it was hiding who he really was. And and they've all even said so much. And within like the last Jedi novelization, Snoke and Luke both talk about the mask as hiding the shell, like the shell of Kylo Ren around Ben Solo and how Kylo Ren as an identity was just will- wish fulfillment and wasn't reality. And, but then that that's the thing about like what Adam said. It's like it's surprising. And so if it does become this symbol of the moment that he does something different, perhaps something heroic, I think that'd be really cool. And I think it works like to make it a Kintsugi mask, for example, because like if Kylo had just put on like another helmet, like if he had, you know, like a closet of them or something, it still visually looks the same as when he was supreme leader or when he was at that village on Jakku ordering them to kill the villagers, you know? And so I think it it would be hard like visually to accept that change. And so having the mask look physically different and then also having it be inspired by this um, method that is meant to highlight all of the things that have happened in your life, good and bad, all of the cracks in who you are. And I think that makes it it makes it completely different and gives it a whole new meaning. Um, and if he's physically doing something good while wearing it, mind blown, honestly. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that it's really interesting that at the same time that this movie is coming out, we have a show, The Mandalorian, that is kind of glorifying the mask wearing. And if if this is really, you know, purposely coming out around the same time and we're supposed to, like, really think about what it means to wear a mask that you want to want to wear um, because it's honorable in this way of the Mandalorian. Um, and then you have Kylo, who we've talked about before, has Kylo ever gotten a chance to just be Ben Solo or just Kylo Ren or whatever his chosen name is going to be like you brought up before um with that choice to be himself is he going to wear his precious scars on the outside in this mask i think it's really interesting to consider that in this tr- grand tradition of mask wearing that Ky- that kylo that adam driver <laughs> so uh in star wars so like kindly discussed that they've talked about that which i think is just really interesting yeah i agree <laughs> So then the next thing that we wanted to talk about recently came about, but I mean, not not so recently. We did talk about the dagger in the uh, trailer because that was the first time we saw it when Ray and Kylo are smashing the Darth Vader helmet, which is still quite perplexing. I can't believe we haven't even really talked about that. Um, In a TV spot, we were able to see the dagger up close a little bit more, and it just looks so strange to me. I, I screenshotted it. I've looked at it for probably too long because it doesn't look like the dagger of mortis it's different and i think that we had kind of said in our like initial reaction to the trailer like oh my god is it the dagger of mortis 
um, which I think would be super cool. Like <laughs> that really plays into the balance ever of everything. But I think it, this is something different. The dagger is such what <laughs> I <laughs> I was so surprised about the dagger. Um, you're right; it does have such an interesting look, and it almost looks like it could be a key at some point, like a physical key. And I think it's worth mentioning too, like Padme's dagger from Revenge of the Sith. Um, her knife the knife yeah in original if you don't know an original concept and treatments of revenge of the sith padme went to mustafar with a knife um with the intention of killing anakin herself in adventure i don't even think it ever made it on screen right it was just concept no art yeah um and one of our very first episodes actually we talked about the pros and cons of if that scene had actually happened like that. And at the time I had said that I'm I'm glad that it didn't come up in Revenge of the Sith. Like I'm glad Padme didn't do it because I I didn't I didn't think that the knife fit in Star Wars. Clearly I'm wrong. <laughs> and so funny actually. It's actually real. I think I, I said at the time I was like, it doesn't work. <laughs> Why wouldn't she bring a blaster? Which I still think is true. Like, why wouldn't she have brought a blaster? <laughs> and also that Pat, like Padme's mentality at that point in Revenge of the Sith is like, if she brings the dagger to kill Anakin, it means that she believes what Obi-Wan is saying about Anakin. And that is that is too much. Like, she can't do that because that's accepting that truth. And that is the last thing she wants to do. But with the dagger in the sequel trilogy with Rey, I wonder if she thinks that – I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in the film she has to think that she has to kill Kylo and that this is the way to do that, whether that's through manipulation by Palpatine, through her own studies of the Force, of the, of the Jedi. She has all of the books from Octo that she got before Yoda burned them in the Force tree. I – don't know <laughs> but i think that it is it's soup it's it's very fantasy it's very fairy tale to have this dagger and it clearly is going to be an important piece of what they're doing she's holding it like you said when they smash the helmet she's holding it with finn and poe the artifact conversation has been heavily explored in nearly every medium that has come out in the Disney era and I don't think we talk about it enough actually you and I talk about it a lot because it's something that we're both interested in and and me in particular um, are very interested in artifacts and monuments but it is curious how like artifact collection and like sacred objects really has now that I think about it come up in every medium that Star Wars has been putting out since the Disney acquisition. And most recently in Resistance, we found out that Kylo was hunting Sith artifacts. He was sending out troopers to find and locate Sith artifacts. So it is likely that this dagger is a part of that too. The idea of the dagger being a key is really interesting to me in light of J.J. Abrams, who is really all about his mystery boxes. And what do you do to open a treasure chest. And we saw a treasure chest in in The Force Awakens where it was revealed Excalibur, aka the 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 lightsaber. 
and the force back began. And I think it's really interesting that here we have a dagger that looks just like a key. Like, what is it going to open? What is it going to unlock? And I really like the thought of these artifacts perhaps being enchanted because it really does like nail that fairy tale esque vibe home. And I, I do feel like there's, there could be some sort of uh, Harry Potter esque possession element here happening. I think it has to be different than um, Harry Potter, obviously. <laughs> but even in Resistance, they talked about the dangers of opening something and you know touching something that is an, a Sith artifact. And if the if this key, if the dagger was one, and um, if the if if the Vader mask is also one, I think there's some really interesting things going on about having to destroy them. Ray even holding the dagger, like is, does the dagger lead to the Vader helmet? Because that's the, that's the only key that I can think like the, the link between them is that you see Ray overlooking the Death Star ruins and then you have her hold with the dagger and then you have her holding it in the room with Kylo um, with the mask and I don't know how it's going to go, but I do think it's, I think that it's a clear design choice that it looks like a key. Mm -hmm. And I think if it is something that unlocks something else, like maybe it's the spirit of Palpatine that unlocks, like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I don't know anything, (laughs) but I think that like, there's definitely going to be some sort of motion of that transforming something else. Yeah. I I think that is, Given the design of it, I like how could it not? And I'm curious if yeah. there's even a piece of it missing that has to be put onto it for the, then to be Ooh. complete. I don't know. But I think it just goes back to like our whole conversation about things coming full circle and the fact that Disney has been putting so much emphasis in multiple stories across a multitude of mediums in artifact collection and in understanding the past. And I talk about this all the time about how people know what they know about what happened to the Jedi Order. That was a really convoluted sentence. Um in the sequel trilogy because they all have different versions of what happened and the propaganda of the Empire and the First Order contributed to that and they were so good because there actually hasn't been a ton of time that has passed in the saga. It's like two generations basically of time has passed but so much knowledge has been lost, has been hidden and obscured and that's part of how Kylo fell and literally bringing all of that baggage to the surface, literally, with the Death Star, what we assume is the Death Star. I mean, these artifacts have to play a piece into that about resurrecting the past. I'm sorry, what was the quote again? Restoring the past in order to redeem redeeming the future. I've heard that before. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so, um, so I think I think it's really cool now, actually, that if – like that where Padme would never have been willing to actually kill Anakin with the dagger. I'll be interested to see like if that's a piece of what Ray thinks she has to do with the dagger or maybe she actually does and we get a resurrection. I don't know. That's what I I mean. Yeah. This is the point in the show for wild theories. So that could happen. I do think something that we haven't mentioned, just to move on a little bit from the dagger, is the force healing kind of being introduced in uh, The Mandalorian. And I have said this on our Mandalorian recap, so, but I think it 
bears repeating here is I'd love to see Ray practicing force healing somehow um, and that leading to some sort of resurrection of something, whether that's Kylo or or the reverse. I mean, like I don't even know. That would be crazy, but I don't I don't think that would happen. And I I just think that like the intro like back to what I was saying about the Mandalorian and like the masks and everything like that, about the sort of synergy that's happening between them. If ever all these stories are truly interrelated and born in the same conference rooms from the same people who are discussing like the big story themes and what Star Wars is and everything. I think that you have um, an understanding of mass and everything. And you introduce like only weeks before the rise of Skywalker, the fact that there's this creature who has this mysterious use of the force that wasn't really taken all the way, but he was reaching out to try to help and heal like, what if Ray could do that? We hear all these things about this expansion of force powers. I think there's so much that can be done. But I do think that, like, this one would be so cool. It would be just so cool to witness that. And it would be really, like, a truly selfless act, you know? And I think it would, like, totally define um, the the Jedi and, like, her, her true Jedi heart. Yeah, and I think encompassing what exactly the force can do when it is used um genuinely for kind of lack of a better way to describe it and this is what we've been talking about in a lot of different ways for the past however long it's been about like i don't even think we've said it this episode actually the reverse anidala theory i know we haven't i was thinking about that my god if you've made it this far welcome to reverse anidala and this is your first episode welcome (laughs) to reverse anidala um Andy Dalla is the shipping pair of Anakin and Padme, or Queen Amidala. And uh, reverse Andy Dalla theory is that Raylo is the reverse of Anakin and Padme's story. And Anakin wanted to save Padme from dying. He never completed that mission. And Kylo in The Force Awakens says, I will finish what you started. But what did – he's not going to finish what Vader started. Like – Again, this is from our perspective because he's not going to finish what Vader started because that's just a boring story. And Vader's story ended, too, because Vader ceased to exist and became Anakin Skywalker again. So what did – so so like finishing what Vader started, it means nothing because he's, he's not around anymore. It's not Vader who's talking to Kylo through the helmet because he doesn't exist. So it means it's like to make it meta, it's what Anakin – I'll finish what Anakin started – what did Anakin start? He started all of this in order to save the person he loved, to save her from dying, and he couldn't. And so Kylo or Rey, like some combination of, of them, of one of them dying, one of them coming back to life, one of them saving the other is going to ha- like, is going to happen in The Rise of Skywalker. That's the reverse Nidala theory, is that they're going to figure out how to save someone from dying because that's what Anakin wanted to know and he couldn't. And we see Palpatine that Palpatine didn't actually have that knowledge when he manipulated Anakin in the prequel trilogy. And we see him throughout Rebels in World Between Worlds and after still seeking that knowledge on how to save someone from dying. And I think Palpatine is going to get that knowledge in or already has it somehow, but I think he's still working towards it in The Rise of Skywalker. And then he... 
that it, but it's not going to happen for him because he's not he's not accessing the force genuinely. Again, that's not like the best way to describe it, but like with a pure heart, I guess. Um, but Ray and Kylo will because their connection is genuine, and I think that. I don't know. I think, like I said, there'll be some combination. I still don't even know what I think would be the best version in my own head of is it Kylo who dies for Rey and then like she's able to bring him back or the other way around. I don't know um, how all of how I think all of that will work. But we've seen this and it also, of course, in the Mortis episodes, we see Anakin resurrect his Padawan Ahsoka. So it's not it's not out of left field. Definitely not. Definitely not. I think that it's, I think reverse Annie Dalla <laughs> encompasses a lot of things in the same way. I'm going to caveat it in the same way I caveated Raylo in the beginning. I think that it refers to what I was saying before about how the prequels was like really, truly like the fracture of everything going downhill and how do we restore that? How do we repair that? And these two characters, Anakin and Padme, honestly my favorite pair before Ray and Kylo and it's the reason why I am so I feel like such an attachment to Ray and Kylo after the last Jedi of like the sort of similarities between these this two these two pairs I mean Ray and Kylo had their moment that was the same moment like literally the same moment in in Revenge of the Sith down to the lighting in Snoke's uh boudoir in the red room at the very end um when kylo is asking ray to join join him and she says no just like padme did too and you know ray is able to get away and padme wasn't and i think that it's it's really interesting because obviously anakin was able to repair himself at the end of return of the jedi so what's going to happen to this other you know, pair this couple that is so like follows similar plot beats and similar paths, similar framing devices to the point where Ryan Johnson would watch Attack the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, like every night before he went to bed, so he could like practice those like pacing moments, right? And I think that it's just so so fascinating to even consider that that was like a craft that Ryan was doing. And what does it mean? I think that it really does mean that these two characters on these opposite ends of this trilogy of trilogies are like forever connected because one has to complete what the other could not. And that is a happy ending. And I think that like, I, I, I love a tragic ending. It's why I love Revenge of the Sith, but it's, it is just that it's tragic. And this, this long story of the Skywalkers, it can end in tragedy, but it better be bittersweet (laughs) and it better be with uh, love in mind and uh, like an understanding that the way that you heal the galaxy is through love. Mm Um, because I think that's what Anakin learned at the end through the love of his son, but the the very fact that he was never able to have that love in the end with Padme is always going to be sad. It just is. Yeah, yeah, I think that's kind of the best way to say it. It's like it's always going to be sad. And I remember thinking before we became Raylos that the reverse Annie Dalla was just like too out there and too ridiculous. We, we even talked yeah, about we were it like, before. Oh, no. <laughs> But then you watch The Last Jedi and, and what you were referencing, and and I think we, we've talked about this before a lot, but it's just the idea that, you know, Ryan was watching Revenge of the Sith on repeat, basically on a loop, and that scene is so parallel, and you have to ask, 
why? Why is he paralleling a married couple that ends in tragedy to this other couple who has been defined by naked intimacy in The Last Jedi? Why? Um, And I think that – and when I thought about that finally and, like, other people pointed out too, it was like, oh – Okay, I see it. <laughs> Reverse Andy Dalla. <laughs> um, but I think I think you really, really summed it up well that like there is like that's always gonna be sad that that's how their story ended. We should like give us the happy ending. We've made it this far. The Skywalkers have made it this far. Give us the happy ending. Please, please. Okay, so the the next wild theory isn't really a theory. It's just something that, you know, has been revealed slightly in packaging, but it hasn't really come to fruition. We haven't really seen it in action because while we've only seen photos of the mask, we don't we haven't really seen it like for a full one minute of wearing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> th- it's just a major reminder about how little we've seen of this movie. It's kind of nuts. But if the mask could potentially glow with breathing i think it's really interesting like i think that it's it reminds me when i heard this i told caitlin that it reminded me of reminded me of the heart in uh pirates of the caribbean dead men's chest (laughs) and i i honestly can't handle how often i talk about pirates of the caribbean on this podcast caitlin I feel like you don't actually talk about it that much, but if you guys didn't know, like Charlotte is one of her like very strange obsessions is Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> I love it. I love the ride. It's not strange. It's not that it's strange. Unexpected. It makes makes a hundred percent. It's unexpected. Sense. Is it? Is it, it unexpected? Does. Because I think I, I love a Disney park, and my favorite ride like... is Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> so therefore. I love the movies because they're quality movies and they have really interesting dynamics and they deal with like lore really interestingly. And mm-hmm. I have always liked that. And I even, I like the sequels, even though they're like, you know, an hour too long probably. And <laughs> I, <laughs> I think that Davy Jones's heart being locked in a chest and it was like, it's beating. And the only way to be free is to stab the heart. The only way for the entire crew to be free is to stab the heart. And I think it's really interesting always when like a, something uh, reflects like a beating heart or a breathing a moment. It always reminds me of I yes, I go straight to Pirates of the Caribbean because that is generally the whole motif that is carried on into the next film in which um, Orlando Bloom's character then stabs it to take the place in order to sacrifice his own whatever. I I think that it's <laughs> it's really it's just it's it's a really cool story. But I also think a lot about like breathing and and heartbeats and everything reminds me of Revenge of the Sith. I feel like we're talking a lot about Revenge of the Sith, but when Padme dies. And Anakin is becoming Vader in the in the suit. There's this like fantastic sound design that is has been like hotly debated about, you know, Padme and Anakin's heartbeats being in sync and one ending and the other beginning, and then the the breathing continuing, which is the iconic breathing of Vader. So I think that it was just so carefully crafted. I love it so much. Where there's like two minutes of breathing heartbeats and then transformation into the breath of Darth Vader. And I think it would be really cool if the breathing was part and incorporated into Kylo's mask because it would be similar to Vader in that way, but it would also be 
pretty on the surface of someone alive on the outside. Yeah, and I think that it's also it's more um, vulnerable too. Like you're seeing because that hasn't necessarily been a part of Kylo, but like with the cracks, it's highlighting. It's like seeing the heartbeat, like you said. It's seeing what's going on on the inside expressed on the outside. And I think that's the appealing part of it. Yeah. It feels I, meta. I completely agree. really does feel extremely meta. <laughs> Can't wait. Caitlin, this is your point to have any wild theories. You were the one, again, not entrenched at all in Raylo culture <laughs> before The Last Jedi. But in this section what, that we did before The Last Jedi, you were like, here's my crazy theory. They have – did you use the word force bond, Caitlin? I don't think – I said that they – I think I said that they start – okay. Before The Last Jedi came out, as most of you know, Charlotte and I were not Raylos. We weren't involved in Raylo community at all. And in that time, Raylo community had predicted the Force bond like immediately. Literally <laughs> they immediately. They were so on top of it. Literally, yeah. So smart. So on top of it. Charlotte and I saw none of that because <laughs> we weren't as smart to get on the bandwagon at the time. Um, but in our last episode before The Last Jedi came out – when we did crazy theories, I said I speculated a version of the force bond too, which is, you know, that's meta in and of itself because then I became a Raylo. <laughs> but I think I described it as like they had vision, they had like visions of each other, but then they realized that they're real and they can like communicate with each other and that they like. I think I even said that they, like, come into each other's spaces, which, again, is something that, like, the Raylo community have been talking about, too, but wasn't there yet. Um, and that I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> and then it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't crazy at all. So basically what I'm asking is, do you have anything in this section? That feels like so much pressure. Um, no pressure. We've only been talking for two and a half hours. Okay, you said that 45 minutes ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> We're in part two. <laughs> I, I thought a lot about wild and crazy theories for Rey and Kylo. I think that, like, I think the resurrection is, like, that feels so next level. I just, like, I can't even... Uh, picture it happening on screen but it really does feel like the culmination of where this story is going and I don't even think that when we were talking about The Last Jedi I was at that point even as analytical about these things as I am now um, I don't think I was looking at it as closely but at the same time I'm also like I know nothing <laughs> there's nothing to analyze it's just <laughs> images on a screen Caitlin <laughs> colors You're not real Pixels put together. <laughs> Atoms of Adam. <laughs> oh, God. I <laughs> I think my crazy theory is, is, is that they live, is happy endings. I think that's my crazy theory, too. Because I know there will be bittersweetness. There has to be because Star Wars is tragedy and nothing worth winning does not come with a modicum of sacrifice and sadness. And yes, we've had pieces of that with Han and with Luke, but I think we'll still get more of it. What that looks like is a lot of different things I think it could be. But I think like, I think the crazy thing is if they actually 
do you have it all? Like we were saying three hours ago, like, are we going to get our whole checklist? I think that's my crazy theory that we actually could get our whole checklist. I think that's and a I, and fair I, crazy theory. Yeah. And I don't want to like look at Star Wars like a checklist and and I don't want to be and I'm, I'm going to try to not be viewing the film as like check, 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 check or X, 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 X. <laughs> um, but I think like I think that is the crazy thing is if they if if redemption does happen and it's not like a suddenly the light shone on his face, which actually the light probably will shine on his face. But, you know, like there's a switch or something. I think it's more layered than that. And I hope it's portrayed that way too but if there is romantic Raylo, if there is this like supernatural plane of existence that they can access actually actually i have a crazy theory um this is something that i started thinking about and you're gonna talk about it more in part three because again we're only in part two um about some more mythology with uh hades and persephone and eurydice and orpheus you're gonna you had a really good theory uh about it and actually, maybe you should talk about it here since we were talking about Padme and Anakin. But um, in Pirates of the Caribbean, to that Rey and Kylo have to occupy at the end of the film these separate spaces in order to maintain balance. And maybe that does look like death for one of them, for Kylo perhaps, and he is existing in this netherworld. Oh, my God, Caitlin. I hate that you brought this up because it's so true. I know. And that and that they. Oh, no. Like, and it's like, oh, it's like only at the, the golden hour. The two worlds, Caitlin. And it's, yeah. it's, it's Kylo's hero's journey. No. Yeah. So maybe the bittersweetness is that they're together, but they no, can't be I'm together like all the time. <laughs> Because you're, think, like, so right. <laughs> <laughs> I think – I kind of think that's – yeah. <laughs> that, like, that's where, like, they become master of two worlds. They figure it out. Uh, how to keep the balance and, that, and, and that they're together, but they can't be together. I'm breaking down. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, me, and, like, yeah. Yeah. I think you should explain your. I think you should explain your your mythology connection up here instead of in part three, and then we can talk more about what this. you just said. Okay, yeah. if I can pull myself together. <laughs> okay, so last. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs> okay, go. This movie is going to mess me up. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I told you at the show, not the show, everything is making me weepy. <laughs> it's a mess. Okay, anyway. All right. So last week when I was in New York City, I convinced my entire family to go see Hades Town. <laughs> like extended for like aunts and uncles. Yeah. And uh, I was so happy to do that, and you know, it, it won the Tony and everything. But I, I, as someone who is pretty interested in mythology these days because of Star Wars and just diving deep into all this kind of stuff, I think that Hades Town has a very interesting message, especially given um, our conversations that we've had in the past about Rey and Kylo and the the link between 
um, the Hades and Persephone myth, which is at the heart of Hades Town. And it's a brilliant musical. I definitely recommend listening to the music. But um, it's funny as someone who is, you know, interested in these stories and everything. Everyone I, came, I went with did not know how it ended. But I did, and it like made it so much better for me that you know the ending, which is actually like kind of part of the show, and it's like the ending of the show. And I, it's funny because I walked out of it and I was like a little confused because I watched the entire show because there. Let me back up. So basically, in the show, there are two couples. There are there's Hades and Persephone. And then there's Eurydice and Orpheus. And if you're familiar with the Greek myths, I'm sure Caitlin can probably summarize this better than I can because I'm just bad at summarizing. But um, with the myths, Hades, king of the underworld, sees Persephone above on the ground, way above in her mother's field. And she is the personification of springtime. And Hades falls in love with her and then kind of drags her down to hell with him. And while at first she's upset, she later falls in love with Hades and uh, sees something in him that no one else sees. And in order to create a balance, he and and also because she is the ep- epitome of springtime, she brings the spring and the summer and the seasons, she must return from the underworld where she lives with Hades for six months of the year to bring um, to bring the springtime. And then you also have, so there's one couple off to the side, and then you have Eurydice and Orpheus. Eurydice is a poor girl who just wants a place to live and sleep. And she is constantly on the run. The fates are after her constantly trying to ruin her day. And I, then we have Orpheus, who is a son of the gods, uh, a son of the muses, right, Caitlin? And I, he's special. He's going to sing a song that is uh, is going to heal the world and bring love back. So in this play, uh, things are haywire. Hades is kind of screwing up uh, the understanding that six months of the year, Persephone must come back to the 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 upper world and be, he is being selfish and keeping Persephone for himself. And um, Caitlin, do you want to describe the Orpheus and Eurydice myth a little bit? I feel like you can do it better than I can. Yeah, and I think you're I think you're doing a really good job. When you get into Orpheus and Eurydice, you're describing more Hades Town, which is of course really playing on the myth, but it's not of the course. straight. Yeah, it's not the straight yeah. myth. Basically, the myth of, of Orpheus and Eurydice is that they're in love, yay, and Eurydice ends up in the underworld with Hades, and Orpheus goes to great lengths in order to get in to the underworld, into Hades town, in order to rescue her, and you're not supposed to do that, basically. And, like, the reason that, like, Persephone can go back and forth is because she is like she's actually a goddess um her mother is demeter who is the goddess of springtime and agriculture and so that's why she's able to go back and forth and also demeter in the myth she like kind of uh basically guilt trips zeus into getting hades to like agree to this um because like in the myth it's like once you go into 
the underworld and you eat the fruit of the underworld, you're basically like trapped there. And part of Persephone's story, that's what you always see here with pomegranate seeds, is that she eats pomegranates while she's in the underworld. And then she is trapped there forever. But she's not because like Zeus saw that like the world had no crops <laughs> and because Demeter was so sad that her daughter was trapped in the underworld. And so he allows Persephone – he makes Hades – let Persephone come back, like return to the mortal. Anyway, so Orpheus and Eurydice, Eurydice ends up in the underworld. I can't remember if she eats down there, but she's trapped down there. And Orpheus goes all the way down there to bring her back. He has, I think he gets help from Hermes. And he gets down there, meets Hades, and he expresses like that Hades needs, like basically tries to get Hades to let him bring Eurydice back with him. And Hades makes a deal that he will let Orpheus lead Eurydice out of the underworld. But if he looks back to see if Eurydice is actually behind him, then he's lost the game, basically. And Eurydice will be trapped in the underworld forever. And so the thing, it's about like having faith, basically. And he has to have faith that one, Hades isn't tricking him and that Eurydice is actually following him all the way. And if he makes it all the way out, then they'll get to be together in the mortal world and all will be well. And the tragedy, like Orpheus and Eurydice is like so sad. And of course- yeah, I could not stop crying <laughs> despite knowing what happens. Yeah. And of course, at the very last second, Orpheus looks behind him to see if, if she's really there. And of course she is, but of course now he's lost her and she has to return to the underworld forever and Orpheus can never go back to get her again. And, and uh, so the thing the thing about these two myths kind of being intertwined is I walked away from watching Hades Town and trying to assign Anakin and Padme to one and Rey and Kylo to another and then I was really kind of getting my crosses hatched because of course they're similar in the same way that we just described the reverse Annie Dalla situation because these two pairs are just they're just similar they're just similar and I kind of have spent a couple days being like there is so many traits that are interchangeable but I feel like I cracked it I feel like <laughs> I, I, I I texted Caitlin I was like I think I got it <laughs> you were like I, I figured it. it out I was like great yeah <laughs> and of course I'm not right I don't know I just think it's an interesting theory um, I think that in many conversations that we have had about Kylo and Rey being Hades and Persephone I think that is true I believe that that's the the myth that they're most like I think I think that uh, what's interesting to me about them perhaps the most is this understanding of balance and uh, this like forgiving balance that, you know, one must return to one area for one amount of time in order to, you know, light the world, really. And uh, to create a balance in the weather, in in springtime, in uh, planets, in nature. And I think that that is really interesting to explore when you explore Raylo, because I think that in a relationship that is truly all about balance, the balance of the force, the future of the force, and like the equivalency between them, I think that there's so much there in terms of a parallel with that myth. And I 
I think that there's also there so much there with uh, Orpheus and Eurydice in with their stories, but I think more so with Anakin and Padme than Hades and Persephone for Orpheus and Eurydice. And I think it's really interesting because if a test of faith or a test of doubt, if uh, all these things were part of the journey, I think that that's something that Anakin was up against with Padme. I don't think it was executed perfectly well in in Revenge of the Sith, but I do think that was the subtext there of you know not trusting Padme um, at all. I think that even it's kind of hinted at in the, this all these conversations with um, when the, the one conversation on the couch. Like every time I watch it, like everything kind of stops when I watch Revenge of the Sith in that scene about, uh, you know, do you ever think that we're on the wrong side? And then, you know, don't say that, you know, all these things. Mm-hmm. And in the deleted scenes, you actually find out that Padme is working behind his back and that Anakin becomes aware of this. So then the, the seed of doubt that he is going, that she's going behind his back, even though that's not really her intention, it was never malicious. And she felt deeply about going behind his back, wishes to tell him, but can't do it. And because of that, there's all this doubt between them, more so on Anakin's side. And even so, when you know Obi-Wan appears on Mustafar after Padme tries to, you know, retrieve Anakin. And I think that when all there's when all this doubt happens, that's the tragedy of Anakin and Padme. Because even with things like Vader Immortal and everything, it's like Anakin will never be able to get Padme back. But why do we continue to watch the prequels? Because the tragedy is like so bittersweet that maybe something will change at the end. Yeah, yeah. And when you said this, it was like Oh, ow. And that's like the end of Hades Town, the the song that the character Hermes plays, right? It's all about we return back to it again. The cyclical nature of Earth stories. Yeah. We, and it's like, it's insane. Okay, so then there's also the, we brought this up a couple weeks ago too, uh, from the book The Theater of War that Adam Driver narrated narrated um in the audiobook it points it talks a lot about like why we return back to these moments and to these stories that are so sad <laughs> why do we keep why do we keep replaying them over and over again in a thousand different iterations over a thousand different years <laughs> quite literally i mean that brings <laughs> us all the way back to to joseph campbell the hero with a thousand faces over a thousand years <laughs> and there were a couple of um points that uh, they from uh, the theater of war that uh, Slimo posted on her Tumblr like years ago when this first came out. And I feel like she really like highlighted the best parts. Um, And this was some of the quotes. Uh, And this, this is just kind of in the larger conversation about like why tragedy is important as a, as a, as a trope, as a genre, especially when we're getting into mythic tragic tragedy, like Eurypheus, Orpheus and Eurydice. <laughs> I just tried to make a ship name. <laughs> uh, and Anakin, I'm sure, I'm sure it exists. And Anakin, Padme, and Hades, and Persephone, and, um, like, and, and Elizabeth, and uh, Will, <laughs> too. And so, some, and we're just going to read a couple of pieces from this. Uh, quote, we love stories about well-intentioned, flawed characters because they make the most compelling drama. Also, as Aristotle pointed out, we take no pleasure in watching morally flawless people suffer. 
In other words, tragedies depict characters making mistakes rather than inherent flaws in character. I know I miss the mark every day. I often have to lose my way to find the right path forward. Making mistakes, even habitually and unknowingly, is central to what it means to be human. Characters in Greek tragedies stray, err, and get lost. They are no more flawed than the rest of humanity. The difference lies in the scale of their mistakes, which inevitably cost lives and ruin generations. That's also Star Wars. Um, And then just to skip ahead to the end, because uh, this, oh my God, it's so good. This is one of the many reasons that tragedies still speak to us with undiminished force today. We all live in the the gray zone in which we are neither condemned by nor absolved of our mistakes. What is so utterly flawed about the idea of the, quote, tragic flaw is that it encourages us to judge rather than to empathize with characters like Oedipus. Tragedies are designed not to teach us morals, but rather to validate our moral distress and living in a universe in which many of our actions and choices are influenced by external powers far beyond our comprehension. Uh, such as luck, fate, chance, governments, families, politics, and genetics. In this universe, we are dimly aware at best of the sum total of our habits and mistakes until we have unwittingly destroyed those we love or brought about our own destruction. It is not our job to judge the characters in Greek tragedies, to focus on their flaws. Tragedy challenges us to see ourselves in the way its characters stray from the path and to open our eyes to the bad habits we have formed and the mistakes we have yet to make. Contrary to what you may have learned in school, tragedies are not designed to fill us with pessimism and dread about the futility of human existence or our relative powerlessness in a world beyond our grasp. They are designed to help us see the impending disaster on the horizon so that we may correct course and narrowly avoid it. And like, whoa. <laughs> Honestly, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. And this this is like such big picture about why we keep telling these stories over and over again. And 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 like we said at the end of Hades Town, uh, the character Hermes sings about how the story is just going to start again. And all of us came to this story knowing how it's going to end, but we all still sat down to watch it anyway. And, like, that's what you were saying with Anakin and Padme. Like, they're such a big part, and you can agree or disagree on how well it was executed. They're such a big part of, like, they're the reason behind the fall. But we all sit down to watch him fall anyway. (laughs) But the great thing about Star Mm -hmm. Wars, like, where it exists in time, (laughs) um, because, like, it's a film, not a, you know, not on a pot (laughs) um, in, like, Greek mythology or something like that or on a sculpture is that we get to have both. We can have the tragedy, but also see where it goes. And and like when you said that Anakin and Padme were Eury- Eurydice and Orpheus and uh, Rey and Kylo were Hades and Persephone, like honestly, it just like clicks into place. <laughs> and, it really does. <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, talking about the bittersweetness, like where it's going to come into this film, I guess it is going to be with Rey and Kylo <laughs> of that they can have it all, but they don't have it all. And that in order for there to be balance, there is separation. And like, oh my God, maybe, 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 maybe that golden hour moment that we saw on the Vanity Fair cover no. is that time when they can come to, <laughs> when like, that's a flash forward, not like a moment in the film. Like that's when, like, oh, you're here. Like I knew you would be. Out beyond, 
Why do you do I'll this to right, me? I'll be on wrong. There is a place I'll meet you there. No. <laughs> you did this. I know. It's just so sad. <laughs> it is sad. And like, that's the Hades and Persephone myth is that they are in love, but they do have to be separated. In order for the balance of the world. Yeah, that's my crazy theory. Cool. <laughs> well, it's mine too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You were you were I the foundation of it. The the out between out. Can you say the quote again? Out, I always get it wrong. Out beyond, out beyond wrong. Out beyond right. There is a place mm-hmm. I'll meet you there. That was on uh, Vic Mahoney's mood board way last Christmas, two no. Christmases ago. No, it's this year, right? last christmas and i feel like that really i mean in this context i think feel like that totally works oh yeah there is a place i'll meet you there yep nice (laughs) cool let's circle back in two weeks like now that we're talking about it yeah 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 i mean we like everyone talks about that image of kylo and they're like it's so darcy and it is but it's like they can finally come together. Like, like that's the golden hour when things. Well, that's what we we said originally when those in the Vanity Fair episode about like the magical whatever happens at golden hour. It's a magic time, like the St. Elmo's fire esque aspect of it all. It's like it's the green glow when two lovers can be reunited. It's kind of nuts. Okay, part three. <laughs> Yeah, let's go in part three. (laughs) Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. Okay, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Just depressed ourselves majorly. (laughs) This has truly been the most therapy session episode. (laughs) <laughs> and of course it's happening two weeks before the biggest movie drops <laughs> I think like four hours ago I mentioned how my parents like didn't really get that I took off work for this <laughs> but this is why my mom was like this I think why. my mom actually asked me like what's happening <laughs> like the movie she's like oh a movie I was like no <laughs> <laughs> a movie, just a movie. It's Frozen Two. I was like, "Mom, it's the movie." I was like, "We're closing out for years." And she was like, "Oh, well, I guess that's a big deal." I was, like, <laughs> I was throwing my phone. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so part three is filling in the gaps. <laughs> I don't know why we ended with this part. <laughs> well, I think that in this part, in the same way that we did for The Last Jedi, I thought it would be a good idea to kind of give our guess, be- our best guess for the planets in the plot because we still don't really know anything and Caitlin and I probably have really different answers because again we know nothing about like the specifics of the plot um 
And I think it would, I just thought it would be kind of fun. Yeah, so you go first. <laughs> okay, so I think, do you remember doing this for The Last Jedi and me being like, oh my God, there's so many moving parts? I think that's the exact quote. I was like, oh my God, there's so much happening. I can't name specific characters. So I think I'm just going to do okay. planets. So I think the movie opens on uh, the jungle planet. And everything that we've seen there seems resistancey. I think that we'll have like an establishment of the resistance and like where we are in the galaxy. I don't know if like the movie, like the pan down from Star Wars and this and the crawl and everything. Oh my God, Caitlin, we have a whole new crawl to analyze. Can't wait. I I feel like the pan down might actually be more uh, Return of the Jedi esque in space, like you know the Emperor's coming here type situation. Um, with the first order but i do think that like the first like real planet we see that's not at the pan down will be uh the jungle planet and um there will be like a conversation about like where the resistance is and how they need allies and maybe that's the the poe like good people will fight if we lead them conversation and all those things um again this is just a guess and then i think then something brings us like the smaller group not like the entire resistance to pisana and i think we've seen the knights of ren be there so there's some sort of like why are they there are they both racing to get the same thing i just don't understand why they're both there um and then after that i think what's interesting what'll be really interesting is to finally get the context of the tie fighter in the desert yeah. scene I think it's like it's so funny because I think that was like the main conversation point back in April and you know there was like oh they're just training they're training and like I don't really think that anymore <laughs> I don't know what's going on but I don't really think they're training if they are I'll be very happy but I I think that again don't really know what's happening and I think that there's like there's potential that there are adversaries there and I think that's okay I just think that uh you know, something that I've said before that I just think bears repeating is that I am so excited for the trash talk between mm-hmm. Ray to Kylo. I don't think Kylo will trash talk uh, Ray, but I think that uh, Ray totally will. And I can't wait for that because I, in, on some level, I think it'll be really funny. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's exactly what I want. Like, I want like feisty Ray. And so I wouldn't be surprised if like maybe the scene in Pasana is her being like, you know, you're coming after me, like, I'm going to show you what I can do and like slices open his tie or something. But I do think that like, (laughs) I just think it'd be really funny and like pretty epic and badass. I do think that like, there's, I I think that there's like total validity though to like Ray trying to, you know, unlock something in the force by doing some like really epic move or them going at a really fast pace or something like that. Um, those Western vibes are very strong. It's like something crazy is about to happen, but like, what is that crazy thing? And, uh, so after Pisana, whatever they do there, no idea, some village celebration, very colorful. We'll see, I guess. Uh, and like, then we have the epic shot of Kylo, the Darcy-esque shot that now we have actually a high res photo of now. No. Can you believe it? Yeah. And so like, what happens to after this TIE fighter? Who's in the TIE fighter? I think it's I think it's Kylo, but like, what if it's not? <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny <laughs> if it wasn't after all this? And then I think after that is when we go to the snow planet, which I think is called Kajimi. And uh, I think that's 
probably where we meet Zori Bless because she's all covered up. And I don't think that she fits in really in Pisana, but maybe I'm wrong about that because Pisana is like kind of colorful and I guess her costume is too. So maybe she does. I don't know what they're doing on that. All of this, I honestly think, I think that everything that we've seen is like up to act two. I don't know what the act three of this movie looks like. I think that because we've seen like nothing with Palpatine, except for, I guess when I say that, I mean, everything with Palpatine is in act three, not in, not like all these everything I just said like I really do feel like this is like all in the front of the movie and everything with Palpatine is like at the end (laughs) like way at the end and um and then after that I think something brings the crew to the Death Star and then you have the dagger like when does Ray get the dagger when is I have no idea like I think that maybe before this is when Ray and uh crew kind of storm whatever imperial situation that is and Kylo and Ray finds herself in Kylo's room which I think is honestly again back to me saying that I think it's just going to be kind of funny to see Ray go all feral I am ready for that and I think it's going to be great and then I don't know what happens after the Death Star (laughs) who knows it's literally like a guessing game I think that like what's what happens first the conversation in the throne room or the fight that's really the thing that I just like don't understand where is Dark Ray I don't know after this has to be and then um, after after the fight, then I think is the Palpatine stuff, the thing that Caitlin and I kind of speculated, at least I speculated, that looks kind of like a weird like Jesus on the cross thing. But I've seen a lot of people online talking about it with as a chessboard, which makes a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that too, Caitlin? Like it's... <laughs> and i know and i think that i was like we spent like maybe 20 minutes talking about how it looks like a crucifix i don't think it looks like i've never thought that you were very much on that line i I did i did but you know what richard e grant did say that it incorporated elements of the bible i hear that i hear resurrection because he did say it was a complete resurrection (laughs) of the spirit (laughs) and i'm like oh freudian smith yeah uh freudian smith is slip Jeez, it's late we've been podcasting for a while um and that's what I think. I think what would be really interesting is the Death Star, it, if it's on, I don't think it's Endor. They've said it's, I think, like Kip Beer moon. is what. Or, yeah, but I do think it's a moon of Endor, which I think is really interesting because I've always found that kind of confusing. I don't know about anyone else about like the forest moon of Endor. The Yeah. Like, like what? What is that? Is, is Endor is the Endor? moon <laughs> is where we end up a moon of Endor? Because we've been calling it Endor for years, like. yeah. 40 years. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe some clarification will happen there. Oh, are you done? Are credits Yeah, rolling? I'm done. I'm done. I mean, and then we're getting the happiest ending possible. <laughs> Weren't you just and we're walking at the out, end We're of- gliding out of the movie theater at this point. <laughs> Weren't we're you like, just yeah, at the just- end of part two? I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm forgetting about that. It's fine. <laughs> Everything you said is wrong. <laughs> okay so (laughs) the thing is i love speculating i'm actually so bad at plot speculating (laughs) like so bad (laughs) i originally thought the pisano was gonna be the beginning of the film but i think like you i think i'm more like leaning jungle planet now and then pisano i think that i think that the artifact hunting is obviously a big piece of this i think at the beginning it's like 
yeah, the resistance is trying to get allies, but I also think Ray also has this like artifact hunting that she's doing, maybe in conjunction with what Leia is telling her, or if she's also conversing with Luke. I don't really know. But I think at some point Ray and Kylo are searching for the same thing. And they perhaps find it together. One of them finds it first. I don't know. Maybe it's the dagger. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything. That would make sense to me. Yeah. And they – I do think that we will get like some undercover Kylo version of that, especially based off what, what we've been talking about with Adam's recent comments about the mask. But I think that like when they – I think that they've been having contact with each other. I think it's been – adversarial up until that point and then they find the same thing and maybe it's like because they keep cheating because they like the force bond opens up when ray is like here's where the dagger is and kylo's like ha <laughs> she's like oh my god you again <laughs> and they like race to it and then like vice versa i think that that could happen but when they find it whatever it is that's when that's when we kind of shift into the new phase of their relationship of what they're doing and i think that's when they start to work on the same team maybe that's when they go to that world between world type of place and realize that there's that like palpatine is back maybe they open pandora's box and let palpatine out they would uh kylo would actually <laughs> accidentally in <laughs> Unleash so Palpatine. <laughs> like, I just, it's just so great. Maybe it's not so, ac- maybe they're like manipulated. And while you were talking, I kind of had this theory that kind of flashed before my eyes that they, because you were talking about, I don't know when they're on the Death Star, if they do the fight and then are in the throne room or if it's the other way around. I kind of think they do the fight on the Death Star and then they end up in this like astral plane place. And all of this stuff with Palpatine happens there. And then they are taken back to the throne room. Like oh. maybe Act 3 takes place in on the cosmic level completely. Oh um, my god, that would be so cool. Right? <laughs> be amazing. Yeah, that would be so cool. And while that's happening, all of like everything with the resistance and the First Order is also happening that Finn and Poe and Rose are doing too. And it's like, where did Ray go? Like, I don't know. She just like she just disappeared, um, and all of that is happening up there. And maybe it's like, I don't know. It's like controlling the weather or something. I don't know because like we've had all of these scenes of Palpatine and Snoke being like, "Watch, let me show you the Resistance being destroyed or the Rebellion, whatever it is." But what if now we're watching it from up above, like in the Force? <laughs> Whoa. And at the end of it, they go back to like the throne room where it more or less like also started and had like some form of conclusion, but now is really concluded. And that's when like that in itself is also a part of that sacred or astral place. And that's when they realize, or at that point, they know that this is. Like, this is goodbye for the time being. Like, that's where they separate because they have to keep the balance somehow. I don't know. Yeah. I think that would be great. Yeah. And maybe this is, like, where Dark Ray comes in when – I almost had a theory that, like, Dark Ray is actually Kylo's vision, which I think is also possible. You know, like, 
this I should I like I should have found her first or something from Palpatine. Like look what she could have been. Um yeah. but maybe maybe all of like maybe Dark Ray, all of it takes place in this third act as this I don't know, like Palpatine almost hunting Ray and Kylo in this space. I don't I don't really know. I just I hope it's crazy. I want it to be nuts. Yeah. Like when when Dark Ray enters the picture and we've been talking for so long, but like we haven't even really talked about Dark Ray. I am like, I really don't want it to be a vision. I want and I've I've said this a lot, I've said this on Twitter. I feel like it's pretty important. Not important, but I think that for Ray to explore her dark side as someone who's gone straight to the dark and returned back, I have full faith that she'd able to be able to do that and come back. I do think that there's like a logistical interesting like conversation about like the costume change and the look change that like does make it seem a little bit more visiony, a little bit more um possessiony. I don't like possess I don't like the idea of possession, but it did happen to Ahsoka in Mortis. Mm-hmm. So it's it is possible because I don't like the idea of like no free will, but I think that's kind of the point, <laughs> um, especially in a story that is kind of all about free will and your choices can you know change at any point. And being like kind of arrested in that uh, uh, choice would be kind of in- an interesting thing to bring up in this story, but I I don't necessarily want that. I would rather a reflection of. Ray going to the dark almost at the same time that Ben, you know, finds more of a light in this whole like transformation of yin and yang while there is darkness and light, there's, you know, light and darkness and all this kind of uh, mirror images I think would be really interesting. I do think it would be like completely fascinating to have Kylo confront Dark Ray because I think that the, the mirroring of that just the implications of uh, Kylo then having to convince Ray that that's wrong is brings about a really fascinating conversation and even just allows us at this point to see uh, Ray through Ben's eyes rather than, you know, what the way we see Kylo through uh, Ray's eyes at all times. And I think that like this kind of shift would be so so interesting and just by the by the very fact that they've showed it in the trailers um yields like really like brings me to believe that it is quite important and that it can't only be quote just a vision i think it can be a vision i think it could be a different like the way i've been thinking about it a little bit is i think it could be like a f- different form of reality maybe it's a different plane of existence maybe it's a different like time and place in this world between worlds i have no idea because the force can forever expand and that's like kind of the beauty of it is that it's still kind of undefined and it can be whatever it needs to be in order to reflect the story and i think that if it was a different reality i think i would like it more than a possession situation but i guess all, all of them are valid, and I will probably like it because I think Dark Ray is awesome. Yeah. I mean, at this point, we've literally seen one second of Dark Ray. That's all we've seen. Yeah. We haven't even really seen her move. It's just like the the lightsaber switching. Yeah. That's and it. I wonder if it would give it away if we saw anything else about like her movements or anything, whether or not it was her or a vision or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. I think you brought up a good point about it, when you were talking, it made me think about like, okay, who is Dark Ray for? 
if it yes yes like, if that is important for Ray like if it's supposed to tell us something more about Ray's character then I hope it's real and not possession or vision if it's something like for Kylo then maybe it's better as vision or maybe it's still better as a real situation then I don't know but I think Dark Ray, we all lost our minds over and we still know exactly the same amount as we did before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's kind of the theme of this episode, huh? It's like, <laughs> we know nothing. <laughs> Just four hours of you and I uh, reiterating the past two years of our podcast and crying. Honestly, that's exactly what just happened. <laughs> so... But, like, at at some point, I do think it's helpful, like, at least on a personal level, for me to, like, kind of uh, center a little bit about all of our conversations that we've had. And Am uh, I centered? I'm just emotional. (laughs) I know. I know. But, like, even just thinking through things and how, like, story beats, I don't know. I mean, again, we could be totally wrong, but wouldn't it be great if we were a little bit right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it would be. Like, I think that it, it... I think that, you know, I I think this bears saying, but fandom is not a game. It's not something you unlock. And just like the force, it's not something that you predict and therefore are stronger. I think it's incredible that the Raylos were able to predict most of The Last Jedi. And I don't know if we'll, we will fall into that category with The Rise of Skywalker. There's no way to guarantee that. But it is fun to kind of follow all these story beats, like a little bit of a scavenger hunt um, and kind of piece everything together. I mean, like that's why we're all here, (laughs) right? Is to kind of piece everything together in a story sense and to understand why these things resonate with us so much and what would, if, if the story went in this direction and the direction that we think it's going in, how would that resonate with a grand audience? I think that that's always so fun to discuss. And again, I'm just gonna repeat, we don't have to be right to be happy. It's just, it would be nice if we were because it's it's been such a fun ride to analyze everything. And I think that it's just been the best. Yeah, yeah. I think you you summed it up really well. Like fandom is not a game. It's not about being right. It's about the journey of speculating. Our podcast is kind of like the journey to the Rise of Skywalker series. <laughs> just like branded by Lucasfilm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, remember before we knew the title and we thought it might just be like Skywalker and we were like, well, that'd be great for Sky Talkers. And now we're just the journey to the rise of Skywalker. It's just the journey of the Sky Talkers to the rise of Skywalker. Oh, say that ten times fast. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I mean, I think that's like the best way that we've now come full circle on this entire episode is that it's not about being right. Like. There's just something nice about knowing that you've been picking up on the right things. And I think that's why you and I respond so well to like we've been saying this whole episode, like big picture storytelling is because it's not for us, like it's not based on around the details. It's based around like big picture ideas and themes. And however that does shake out, like for us, that leaves a lot of surprise because we're not focused on the – you know, from the crawl to minute 27, they're here and then they go here and then they do this. It's more like these are the the story strokes that we want to see happen, but then we get to be surprised about how they actually do happen. And I don't know. I think that I like how we speculate. Me too. I'm going to miss it. But okay. then we get to analyze it. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. 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 Then we get to analyze it. So that's that's going to be really fun. Wow. I like how this end of this this document that we have, which is something <laughs> we've already discussed, and is the question in bold. Not everything in this in this is bolded. It is, is Kylo going to die? And you just wrote underneath it, dot, 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 of fun. <laughs> She's like so awkward because that's just like total self-preservation right there. <laughs> it totally is. You it's put like, the question in there, is Kylo going to die? And I said, I can't have that on my Google Doc. Can't have it. It's going to say a fun. Well, you know what? We already talked about it. So. But he doesn't actually die. He just exists on a different plane. And at the golden hour at specific times oh my God. that the stars are aligned, Ray and Kylo, can, they can reach across the galaxy to each other once again. Forever. Okay. Because they did it once in The Last Jedi. They can do it again. Okay. All right. Okay. It's fine. Everything's fine. It's fun. Okay. It's fun. He's going to die of fun. <laughs> He's going to go into the cosmic plane of existence laughing. Yikes. I don't want to see that. Yeah, no, I actually don't either. That would actually be a really bad ending. So, yeah, that would be not. terrible. Um, okay, well, I cannot wait to hear the triumphant Ben Solo theme from John Williams and or the scavenger and the Jedi killer theme as well, intermingled with the force theme. I'm really looking forward to that. I think this is going to wrap up our episode. Question mark? Wow. Wow. I wow. have no idea what we just talked about. I know it was a lot. I know it was a long episode. But if you stuck through all of this, my God, congratulations. <laughs> I'm so proud of you guys I am too. for sticking through this. I, I really am too. Like, I wish we had a spot on our Sky Talkers bingo card for sat through Charlotte and Caitlin's ridiculously long pre-trust episode. <laughs> I've just shortened it somehow. Anyway, we I think we have reached the end of our emotional and intellectual capacity for this episode. So that is going to wrap it up. This is the last uh, main show episode before The Rise of Skywalker comes out. We will be covering it. Of course, we're also covering The Mandalorian and Resistance. Those episodes might be back cataloged for a little bit, though. So, again, that schedule is not set. So if you're interested in either of our recaps and, and analysis on those shows, just look out for our Twitter because we'll let you know when those ones are coming up. But we don't know how <laughs> on top of things we'll be with those ones. So, like I said, if you want to tell us that this episode was too long, you can head over to our Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal Twitter handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. Uh, you can also tweet us if you have cried from any of your trust theories as well. Let us know. Um, and you can also find us on our website, SkyTalkers.com or Instagram or Facebook. We are all over those places. Guys, we are so excited to be getting ready for Rise of Skywalker, clearly. And for those of you that have been with us since The Last Jedi, since Rogue One, if you just hopped on this year, the Sky Skytalkers train, thank you guys so much for listening with us and letting us be a part of your fandom experience in, in whatever small way we are. It really does mean a lot to us, and it's not something we take for granted. And we really do try to produce and create quality content for you guys and um i don't know it's just like 
I feel so weepy about everything. And we are really grateful for the community that we have in Star Wars. So this is, it means a lot to us that you listen and the podcast means a lot to us. So thank you guys. And um, if you have enjoyed any part of our speculation for the past two years on the rise of Skywalker and you would like to leave us a review on iTunes, we would really really appreciate it and you can also check out our patreon if you're interested in supporting us in that way yes and i want to say a huge thank you to our amazing patrons joey jason fiorella marty spencer kathy gee jenna jessica mike thomas bridget shelbo james kate nathan sam bailey eric kelly neil mary larry james sarah Susanna, z sheree diana becca lynn katie courtney amy kelly jim suara bradley eunice danielle Danielle, Matt, Eaton, Garrett, Debo, Irina, Edith, Jacqueline, Rachel, Lady Vader, John, Kevin, Ian, Raz, Lakshana, Candace, Ewan, Tom, Daniel, Heather, Brooklyn, Kimma, Julia, Matthew, Captain, Britton, Jackson, Carrie, Jackson, Raphael, David, Ada, Liz, Christian, Nicole, Jonathan, Rachel, Aaron, Brooke, Rebecca, Kathy, Ira Bell, Kimberly, Vundacast Productions, Christian, Adam, Megan, Courtney, Centara, Thomas, John, Megan, Kate, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Manny, David, Claudia, Kate, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumpararoo, Patrick, James, Hammy, Neil, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kells, Chastity, Alaya, Travis, Katie, Alyssa, Rebecca, Delaney, Angela, Ali, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Molly, Isabel, Camille, Amy, Jared, Claire, Brad, Caitlin, Rebecca, Helly, Scott, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Kirsty, The Clashing Sabres Podcast, and Chuck. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Your support really does mean the world. And if you've been with us for like two years or two days, thank you so much for supporting us. Yes. Thank you, guys. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.